Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the Internet Movie Database's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. I'm Andy. And this week we're discussing a very special movie on the list, number 248. It's Beauty and the Beast, ladies and gentlemen. Beauty and the Beast. See my vest. See my vest. Made from real gorilla chest. See this sweater, there's no better than an authentic Irish setter. See this hat, it was my cat. My evening wear, vampire bat. These white slippers are albino, African endangered rhino. I think we have to stop there for copyright reasons. <laughs> but, um, as you can tell, we're all very, very excited. Um, and joining us on the podcast is Andy. How are you, Andy? I'm doing brilliantly, Darren. Cheers. Um, so yeah, we invite you on. We asked you a couple of movies you'd like to cover, and you suggested Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So what is it about Beauty and the Beast that really sort of stood out to you? That sort of like made it a movie that you wanted to talk about in the podcast. It was the shortest film on the 250. Yes, that may have been an outside consideration <laughs> that we foisted on Andy. We don't normally give a lot of context for how we're recording these episodes because we like it to be a bit of a mystery. You're discovering it as we're discovering it. This may be a particularly ambitious recording on the part of all three of us. We are recording this at a little past midnight on a weeknight. Of course, it was also selected at some point by a random number generator. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us, Andy. No, thanks so much for having me. Seriously, though, I love Beauty and the Beast. It was one of the few VHSs we had at home when I was growing up, and it, you know, much like Aladdin, it's got a, it's got a real place in my heart. It does. It's it's one of the movies that's generally credited as being a, sort of an early key component of the Disney Renaissance, as it was known. Mm. Uh, we were talking about, I think, a couple of months ago, The Incredibles 2 and Brad Bird's history at Disney, where he was working in Disney in the 80s. And he found it a soul-destroying experience because they were churning out sort of sequels and low-rent animation and, and stuff that wasn't really making an impact and stuff that was very much sort of driven, you know, as, as a secondary concern for the studio. And then in 1989, I think they released The Little Mermaid, which was seen as a movie that sort of made a big dent in sort of proving what Disney could do with animation. And then shortly after that, they released The Rescuers Down Under, which was grand. Everybody was like, hey, that's a perfectly adequate film. And then in 1991, they released this, Beauty and the Beast, which is uh, a remarkable film. This was a film that Walt Disney himself had wanted to make in the 30s. Um, he'd originally planned this around the time he was doing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. He had like a list of fairy tales he wanted to go through, but he could never crack it. Um, and in fact, he he pushed it through the 30s and the 40s. Then obviously the Jacques uh, Cocteau version, the mm-hmm. famous black and white version. Yeah. Um, that was released, which sort of put a dampener on Disney's sort of designs of making Beauty and the Beast. Because obviously that was for many people the definitive version of this fairy tale. Um, and Disney sort of went away and they sort of brushed it aside. You can actually see elements of the, the Cocteau version in the film itself. So, for example, the enchanted castle with the uh, with the, the objects that move, for example. Or even the Gaston character can trace his roots back to the 1947 Black and White Beauty and the Beast film. So it has its sort of influence there. But in the late 80s, Disney sort of latched on to the idea of returning to doing Beauty and the Beast. And it's an interesting sort of bit of history because, by all accounts, Beauty and the Beast should have been a complete disaster. They worked for about two years on it before they showed their initial plans for it to uh, Jeffrey Katzen? Katzenberg, sorry? Yes. Um, who Katz- would go- Katzenberg? Katzenberg, sorry, who would go on to be <gasps> no, one of I, the... 
executives and driving forces behind DreamWorks later on in the 90s. Uh-huh. They showed him the footage that they'd been working on on this sort of Beauty and the Beast project in the late 80s, and he hated it so much that he not only fired the directors, got rid of all the negatives and all the equipment and all the sketches that they'd been doing on it, and made them start from scratch. He drafted in two directors who had never worked on a feature film before and said, look, make it work. And not only make it work, but you know the way that you spent two years doing this, and the Disney turnaround cycle is four years. Well, you've got two years to do this then. You've got half the time that you have to spend on a regular Disney film to make this work. Katzenberg. Yeah. Your temper. <laughs> just sort of, maybe just sort of relax a little bit. This sounds very reminiscent of some more recent uh, Disney property releases who've had to find new directors halfway through production. Yeah, uh, yeah. although I, one might argue that perhaps, perhaps Solo might be considered a masterpiece in the style of Beauty and the Beast with time, you know, when time sort of casts its eye over it. But it, it's remarkable because Beauty and the Beast is a film that almost immediately became a sensation. It was famously screened in a temporary version uh, for the New York Film Festival in 1990 one I think uh, where they filmed a version of it that was incomplete sorry they screened a version of it that was incomplete so it was partially animated some of it was animatics and some of it was just like insert scene here but the critics loved it um, it got a 10 minute standing ovation We're even disappointed with the full version yeah after it came out well, <laughs> where, the, it, where it didn't say <laughs> work print yeah insert yeah. scene here <laughs> insert scene here those yeah. are my favourite scenes that yeah, yeah. Um, touching reunion um, important emotional <laughs> arc um, well we'll talk about that because there were actually a lot of this a lot of beauty the Beast was kind of almost came together on the fly in a accents. way that's remarkable. Yeah, insert accents. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's something remarkable about that because obviously then it was released. It became the highest grossing film of the year, I believe. The first animated film to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. To the point where it caused such a sensation that the Oscars subsequently invented the Best Animated Film category to prevent that from ever happening again. Those crazy inventors. Yeah inventing all those categories like most popular film and all that sort of stuff to keep like their their sort of you know their little marshmallows separated from their cereal lock them up lock <laughs> them up um but yeah so Beauty and the Beast is is a remarkable cultural phenomenon I can't remember a time when I had seen this we talk a lot about this in the podcast because the the IMDb is very much focused around movies that were popular in the 90s and sort of shaped by the experience of people who watched movies in the 90s and, like, this is a film that was a huge part of my childhood. It's mm. probably my... I can remember not having seen this. Really? Because okay. I remember um, Little Mermaid. Um, uh, and it, 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 it was probably, be, probably my favourite Disney movie, but I, I don't think I've seen it since. Wow. Like, I, I, I feel like I wanted to go see it over and over again. And it must have only been, like, three. Um, this but, is because that's sort of been 1989. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I mm. like there are certain things that I remember, very few things. One was the den with um Darcy was her, not Darcy, you had this is back with um, Dempsey. Yeah, Ian Dempsey. Uh, Ian Dempsey and Zig and Zag for Irish, uh, for non Irish children's television. Yeah, uh, by the way, uh, yeah, uh, Andy and foreign listeners will both be confused by the references that Andy's making. But Irish children's television consisted of these wonderful anarchic puppets, which were amazing. What well, Zig and Zag? We had yeah, them. Yeah, oh, you abducted them, them for the big breakfast. Uh, the yes. big breakfast. Yeah. yeah, I know Zig and Zag intimately. Yeah. Oh, that's very heartening. But yeah, so so they were they were originally in on the den, which is what you remember, and you also remember Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid, yeah, in the old Sligo Gaiety, which was this fantastic um, kind oh. of old fashioned. 
um, cinema theater that's now like an omniplex. I, anyway, I, this is fantastic for people who are familiar with Irish culture, in particular <laughs> rural Irish culture. Because I remember the Gaiety Cinema in Sligo because I only remember, and I only remember one going to it once because I remember the re-release of the Star Wars films, which I went to see with my father when I lived in Sligo. And he took me to the Gaiety, and I remember... That was the, quite a while later. Yeah, the Gaiety got refurbished. I remember when they, 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 they had a cutout of, of King Ralph that was there for a very long time. <laughs> very long time. Just uh, John Goodman, like, far beyond the point where the movie had been released. And I feel like if you have a standee of John Goodman, you just keep it around. Do we want to do a quick lightning round on Disney? Because there are only really two of the, like, classic animated Disney movies on the list. This and The Lion King. So how oh. would this rank for you as a, like an animated classic Disney film, Andy? Oh, it's it's well up there. I think, or you know, not least of all because it was one of the later VHSs that we had, and we we watched Cinderella into the ground. I hated it by the end, and then suddenly Beauty and the Beast came along, and it's like I think it's only topped in my heart uh, by Aladdin, but. I feel like there are similar themes in Aladdin as well as Beauty and the Beast. So. Oh yeah, well they're they're very much part of the same sort of movement. I mean, it it should be noted that like we for our generation, um, Disney's like domination of the marketplace in the nineties with their animated film is like taken for granted because mm. I think that like Aladdin was the biggest movie of the year that it was released. Yeah, man. And like for example, The Lion King was the second biggest movie of the year that it was released, and Mulan was like the sixth biggest movie of the year that it was released. And we sort of we take that Disney dominance for granted. There was a time in the eighties when you wouldn't have had any animated movies in the top. 20 movies of the year hmm. and a large part of that people argue is down to the success of movies like for example beauty and the beast and aladdin um and and i think that aladdin is very much a product of the same school of thought of beauty and the beast because one of the things that beauty and the beast does is it takes the conventional structure of broadway musical and applies it to a disney film in a way that hadn't been done before and we'll talk about some, some specific examples when we get to the sports i think what was um what Beauty and the Beast needed was um, a really uh, gulped up Robin Williams. Because <laughs> <laughs> you ain't never had a friend like me. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what it was sorely missing. Well, you know that the um, the the music was basically written by the same guy. Um, the guy, the... I feel like they also did an R&B version. Oh, oh, you never got a friend like me, yeah? No, of um, the... Um, oh, the, Whole New World. A Whole New World, yeah. Well, yeah, because this was very 90s. Because, again, and this spoils nothing because, again, it was a massive number one hit in, in like, 1991. Huh. The movie closes with, like, an R&B reprise of, like, the really sweet unless, moving song of the century. Unless you were born in, like, 1998. I guess. Oh uh, yeah, in which and case it might, it might be a spoiler. Yeah, but it, it's Howard Ashman is the guy I was thinking of. Howard Ashman was the guy who was brought on as a lyricist and song producer on this film and also The Little Mermaid he worked Mermaid. on uh, and he also worked on Aladdin. Uh, he didn't mm. get to complete Aladdin. He passed away. He died of AIDS uh, and we'll talk a little bit oh. about that later on. The movie Beauty and the Beast is actually dedicated to him because he got to finish production. Uh, he got to finish working on it didn't get to see it released before he passed away, unfortunately. Oh, that, that's Ashman, who is who is credited at the end. Yeah. He died at 41. Yeah, which is, is a very young age and a very tragic story. Um, and, and what he did was he largely brought a sense of structure to the music of the film. Because it's impossible to talk about Beauty and the Beast without talking about the music. When we've already talked, like we opened by singing 
you know, please don't sue us, Fox, but by singing <laughs> a version that is itself quite close to a version of a song that appears even one degree removed from being the Beast, because the songs in this movie are amazing. They're life-changing songs. What do we have to do to not get sued? Yeah, I, I think if we, did, if we argue that we're making criticism of them, it's fine. Right. So we're, if we're critiquing them. So if we were to critique them through song, maybe in rhythm with the song itself... No one plots like Gaston, reinforces gender roles like Gaston. <laughs> I think that might we might get away with that, possibly, but we'll, we'll have to work on it. We're going to fix that in post. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I, I'm no legal expert, obviously, but I mean, if, <laughs> I if, we're, a little ropey. if we're singing them ourselves, surely we're, uh, we're fine. You are no legal expert, Andy. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, that was very sad. May- maybe, using... maybe you guys have come upon this problem before. No, yeah. Dar- Dar- Darren, Darren is only on the podcast. For my <laughs> la- complete lack of legal knowledge. Having studied law, but lack not pursued it in any way. Or oh, opinion. right. No, studied, but the... not pursued it in any way. Uh, and completely forgotten most of what I learned. <laughs> but this you know. This I know. We must not <laughs> Provoke. <sing>. <laughs> <laughs> We must sing within sing. limits. Yes. We sing what's in your heart there. Must not sing, sing. like Gaston. No. <laughs> that wasn't quite what we were harmonizing to, but uh, I okay, that I'm, was what we I were I missed that cue. Oh, sorry. I thought we were harmonizing to be my guest. Um. Darren is tone deaf, which may also be why we don't sing on this podcast that much. Uh, but yeah, so let's let's before we jump into the sports zone, we generally ask guests sort of three questions. This has happened before. Bring it. This is oh. a reoccurring. Bring it. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like, what was that? Yeah, Darren has no sense of music. He can't tell rhythm or timing. Uh, <laughs> it's really frustrating. Uh, you would think counting to four would be easy, He's got but a it's song not. in his soul. Yeah, but unfortunately, it can't get out. Um, <laughs> But, uh, so Andy, right? Who trapped the song in your soul? Was it <laughs> an evil wizard? Yeah. <laughs> she just came to my house one day and asked me to sing to her. And I said, no. And she was like, fine. <laughs> I was 10 when it happened. Anyway, um, Andy. No one could yo. enjoy my song. <laughs> so let, let's, uh, let's ask this. So first of all, do you think Beauty and the Beast belongs on the Internet Movie Database's list of the top 250 movies ever made. It wasn't my idea to rebrand it as the Internet Movie Database. <laughs> okay. IMDb. Do I you was think like, it... say IMDb slower. And <laughs> I do. Internet <laughs> Movie Database. Nailed it. Yeah. It is. I, I am saying the same thing, but slower. That is how it works. So, Andy, do you think it belongs on a list of the top 250 movies of all time? be it maintained by an organization that has a handy acronym or a database In of Stockport. movies on the internet. Hmm. Is that where it's based? Stockport? I'm not sure. Isn't that where, 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 what, yeah, where the internet is kept? Yeah, the, <laughs> the internet movie. They, they lock database. it in a cupboard. It's, <laughs> it's where Al Gore invented it. <laughs> <laughs> Al Gore was working in his lab in Stockport and this is how we are <laughs> where we are today. Mind control Al Gore, program. come back and take responsibility for your creation. Yeah. There are times um, when you feel like he's like Tom Hanks looking at Chet Hanks at this stage. For a little while he thought he had Colin Hanks, but he didn't. Anyway, Andy. Does it belong on the list? It's it's pretty low on the 250. Yeah. It's it like tends to come in two, and go out. 240 or something? 248. Oh, wow. It, like um, you, you, we, caught it, we caught it on a good day. Yeah, right. It's, uh, it's in and out over time as well. It's one of those movies that, you know, 
you know, like, this is the reason why there will be more than 250 episodes of this podcast. Aha. Sorry to disappoint everyone. <laughs> <laughs> For completists out there, it's never going to happen. Um, yeah, I think being constantly in and out is exactly where it should be. Would you care to elaborate on that? No, I, I mean, like, it, it wouldn't occur to me to think, you know what belongs on this list? Be in the beast. But the fact that it was there, it didn't surprise me. And I'm like, yeah, if I had to pick a Disney film, I'd probably go for Aladdin. But it, this is a solid entry. I also like, um, like, there's the odd older one. I, f- I, feel, I feel like I've, like, there, I'm not. Well, there the, are so I'm, many I'm, great Disney I'm not the yes. kind of person who goes back and watches Disney movies, like, just for kind of. Because. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm really glad that I, that I, that I saw this one just now. But, um, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I quite liked, like I say, I really, really liked Little Mermaid, uh, Little Mermaid but I'm not going to go back and watch that. Yeah. I have no interest. And, and, uh, like, similarly, Pinocchio. I, I thought Pinocchio was great, but, like, um, maybe, maybe that is what I need. This is the thing. I mean, I feel like, and again, I don't want to be judgmental of people. I I have many of the Disney films in my library because I have lots and lots of. I call it a library. It's like the it's like the library in the film. It's just vast, but it's still <laughs> like complete junk of DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff. But um, I I have a lot of the Disney films in my library in inverted uh-huh. commas. Um, but I find that yeah, it's not a movie I'd sit down and watch by myself. But I do find that they're great <sighs> to share with people, even people my own age who would not have had the experience of watching them. Um, so, for example, like girlfriends or friends or roommates. Oh, so I had a roommate right. who grew up and never watched a Disney film in his life. Never part of his childhood. Um, and so experiencing Beauty and the Beast with him was, well, it was hard to read. You just put a suit on him and send him out to the factory. <laughs> yeah, no childhood for you. Yeah, you grow up on BBC period dramas. That's it. That's what you get. Um, you will learn responsibility. Charles Dickens, <laughs> young man. But yeah. yeah um, well, well yeah. I I mean, uh, I, I know Walt Disney, his his whole idea about things was to be like, he, we're not making films for children. We're making films for the children inside us all. Um, and But this one, I think its strength the the strength of this film is its rewatchability as as a child when you've got very limited access to to media yeah like we we could watch this twice in a day every day for 5 years that's yeah and never get bored of it yeah probably. never never and um it was way more appealing than as i said cinderella which i still has a place in my heart but that those songs tend to drag after a while, and, and it's it's a lot more stony faced. Yeah, and it's a lot less kind of playful. I think in some ways, it's yeah, it really is. Yeah. This is brilliant, and you know that's that's what Disney movies can do. And I think they they sort of stop parents from going crazy yeah. with it as well. Like parents can watch this again and again and again without wanting to stab themselves in the eyes. Yeah, you you kind of want your child, if you have one, to enjoy a movie like this, As rather a... than like say I don't know, like Cat in the Hat, or <laughs> or or something that's maybe like not as good, As or maybe Despicable Me Three or Minions or something. And yeah. Mark Kermode loves those. <laughs> 
And what would we know? <laughs> oh, yeah. we're, we're coming for you, Commode. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and I think there there is something in that. And in fact, one of the things that's been argued about the animation boom of the 90s was that it might have been driven by the coincidental rise of home media. So you finally had this sort of system where people could buy VHSs of mm. these cartoons that they'd watched, you know, with their kids and basically could play them. And that basically created a sort of a system where these movies became huge and became sustainable in, as long-term investments. Because yeah. you also at the same time had like John... Don Bluth's animation studio, which was doing stuff like um, Land Before Time, American Tale, that sort of stuff. Oh, stuff oh, Anastasia, that, that sort of stuff. Love those. <clears throat> yeah. In fact, I, I feel like I was almost as fond of those or as invested in those movies. As in the Disney movies. Yeah. Because they were around the same time as well. Warner Brothers were producing, I think, at the same time as Beauty and the Beast. Ro- Ro- Rover, Rover <laughs> Dangerfield. Rover Dangerfield? Really? Really? He yeah. Was it Rodney Dangerfield as a dog? Wait. Yes, that was the core concept. <laughs> it sells its I got no it? respect. Yeah. Do, you not, do you guys not have this as a like no. children? Oh, no esteem. See, now, no regard, neither. Now, it's rough. Now, see, this is what I mean. You guys are going to come around, we're going to watch Rover Dangerfield, and it'll be like sharing a part of my childhood. Let's do that. And it's, and it's not weird if we do it as adults because you guys have never seen it, and I get to experience it again vicariously. That's like the adult code for watching like classic animated films, I think. Aww, no? That's lovely. Um, but anyway, so on to the second question then, which is like, would it be on your own personal 250? I think you may have answered this already, but... Yeah, I I don't think so, but... You know, if I sat down to make a list of 250 anything, I, I I feel like I'd run out by about 50 things. Okay. Um, And I might start scraping the barrel for childhood <laughs> classics. And Beauty and the Beast gets in uh, on yeah, that. Yeah, and Beauty and the Beast just gets in because, yeah, why not? I need I need something. I need, like, 150 more things. <laughs> I so, thought you were going to say, like, oh, it would be so difficult to narrow it down to 250. I feel like if, if, IMDb, <laughs> if IMDb voters were one person, that it would always be changing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what chance do we have? It, well, it's true. I think that you would come up with the initial 250 and then maybe just cycle your top 10. Hmm. Depending on what you've seen in the cinema that week, yeah, very well. That that tends to be quite what happens. Although not as much this year, it hasn't been quite as busy this year in terms of turnover. No, but the the fifteenth best movie of all time. Is well, I think it's now twenty three. So it's, it's twenty three. Is Avengers Infinity War? It's probably where it belongs and where it it's just be, to be fair. Yep, it'll be there for all time. Avengers Infinity War. Mm, I saw that on the list, but why does that get in over Avengers? You'd, like you'd have to hunt down and ask every one of the 100 people who gave it a 10. I'm asking like, you, Darren. This is, this is outside the remit of this podcast. I'm asking you, man. <laughs> you get to ask me questions. <laughs> I get to ask you questions. This is how this works. Um, yeah, I think I think modernity bias is probably the reason. Or recency bias is yeah. probably the reason. Um, I suspect it won't stay there forever, but it'll probably be there for the next five years. And finally, uh, if people haven't, for some reason, seen Beauty and the Beast yet, should they watch it? Or should they convince a friend who already has seen it and happens to have a Blu-ray copy of it and is just aching for an excuse to watch it, but it isn't socially <laughs> acceptable? Must be nice. Yeah, fancy, eh? 
<laughs> but uh, would you recommend that if you haven't seen Beauty and the Beast, would, should you go out and, and hunt it down? I feel like if you have a friend with a Blu-ray player, <laughs> you, you want to capitalize on their ownership of high-end electronics. Just watch anything they have to offer. But yeah, say specific- the heating is off in your house. <laughs> And it's like specifically it's like over the years. you still have that blu-ray player <laughs> hey uh, hey have you heard about these blu-ray players you heard about these <laughs> and he's the uh, rob shrub <laughs> of life <laughs> you heard about these blu-ray players um definitely watch beauty and the beast it's it's charming i think it'll teach you something about yourself and andrew what about yourself yeah, no, I um I wouldn't begrudge it a place a place on the list. I I I I believe some Disney belongs there. Disney doesn't really kind of um uh, uh connect with me, I guess in 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 a very kind of um emotional. Um, well, no, but be, 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 because I did I did I did react. There were there were like parts of it that I found were were um, we're touching so it works on that level and it's also kind of like um like a, 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 amusing and the songs are great i yeah i, I mean what would i would i um so I, so i don't have any problem with it being on the 250 would i put it on my 250 no um although if i were a, a four or five year old child um I'd, I'd yeah absolutely listen little mermaid obviously yeah. and also um what's it what what, what, what was that fourville movie was it fourville his name or five five oh american tale fiveville i'm yeah, confusing Fievel. him with fourville <laughs> and Freivold. um never mind what what, what, what? it's it, it's a the um there is a um a little orphan boy who is adopted by uh, andrew lloyd webber um and his 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 name was Fourville, not Fireville. It's it, it's a whole thing. Don't what, don't what, don't. What you, what? That's that's Oliver. You're thinking of Oliver. <laughs> I may be. Ad- when you say adopted by Andrew Lloyd Webber, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 this 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 the, this this is a series of uh, of episodes of comedy Bang Bang. Oh, okay. Called Time Bobby, um, because it, it's like a time cop. Except he's a, a a a British policeman. All right. Yeah, but to answer your question, <laughs> um, uh, no, no, I wouldn't put it in my two fifty. But I would recommend that people go see it. Yeah. And <laughs> Andy, as a first time guest on the podcast, is still getting used to the level of digression involved in these sort of discussions. I'm, I mean, I'm used to Andrew just going off on one, but was that like a two minute? reference to a show i haven't seen yeah okay it, it, no i don't know why i not i i i had gotten it wrong in my head the, <laughs> the whole the whole horrible thing um I didn't, Good grief. I, no i didn't i didn't know i i genuinely thought it was it was it was, it was horrible i'd forgotten oh andrew and darren so yeah um would it be on my own personal? Sorry, do I think it belongs on the 250? I think you're right that some Disney does, just culturally speaking. I think that Disney's, and particularly its animated films, deserve sort of some sort of recognition. Would be which ones? Yeah, the question is which one. <coughs> um, Beauty and the Beast is probably as good as any. It's not my personal favorite. The Lion King is my personal favorite, and the Lion King's on the list, so I guess we're, we're, we're happy with that. Um, if you had to put another one on, Beauty and the Beast, I'd be happy to see. But I'd also be happy to see a lot of the 90s Disney Renaissance, or even the old 50s stuff like Cinderella or oh, Sleeping Beauty. How do you stand on Aladdin? 
Aladdin, I'm not overly mad about. Aladdin is sort of in the Little Mermaid category for me in that it's a film that I remember quite liking but not being sort of swept up in. I was much fonder of like Mulan and much fonder of The Hunchback of Notre Dame and of The Lion King um, than of Aladdin or of The Little Mermaid, which is very strange. I can't really account for it. I haven't gone back and rewatched it. Is there something more highbrow about The Lion King and, and Beauty and the Beast? Beauty and the Beast. Is, is Beauty and the Beast the uh, Victor Hugo joint? <laughs> no, it is not a Victor Hugo. <laughs> no. It is a classic fairy tale, though. It can be yeah. traced back to, I think, the 14th century. Hans Christian Andersen? No, but like that, that? Hans Christian Andersen's obviously the Little Mermaid, although the resemblance between Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid and the version that made it to screen are, are abstract at best. Um, no, no, I, I don't know. I, I can't explain. I know that The Lion King is based on Hamlet. Hamlet yeah. yeah. Oh, is that what you're getting at there? Yeah. And obviously, uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame is Victor Hugo. Um, and Beauty of the Beast is just a really great film. So I like that too. I uh, can't explain Mulan though by that metric, although I do like Mulan. Um, maybe it's Eddie Murphy. I feel like people it's the Eddie like Murphy factor. Yeah. You, you just can't really place that there. Um, so would it be on my own 250? I don't think so but it would be close it would be in my top 500 say to pick a random example i don't think we'll make my top 250 i think the lion king would this wouldn't do i think that you should watch this absolutely it's amazing it's one of the most remarkable pieces of animation that's ever been made it's a cultural touchstone i mean it's telling that when we began talking about it, we didn't even reference the film directly we referenced a piece of pop culture that was itself referencing the film and still counted on everybody to recognize what we were doing it's fantastic. It's mesmerizing. It's stunning. It's very well put together. It's fantastically written. The songs are amazing. So yeah, I would say if you haven't seen this already or having an excuse, go out and watch it. Um, it's available. I think it's currently out in the Disney Vault, if the Disney Vault still exists. If not, it's probably available on that Disney streaming service they're setting up. So go for it. That would be my approach. So that in mind, we'll be segue neatly into the spoiler zone. as old as time. Sorry, Darren is looking kind of un- un- uncomfortable. No, like, no, no. Uh, lawyers, lawyers, <laughs> lawyers. I'm more curious uh, about how you're going to sing spoilers <laughs> own in rhythm with the music, but I say go for it. If you can land it, I say you land that plane. Spoilers on the beast. Thank um, you. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, Andy, yo, what is Beauty and the Beast about for you? This is a big question, Darren. It is. I, the I, same big question we ask every week and prepped you on before we sat down. Yeah, I feel like I had an answer when you asked me first. And now, maybe, maybe have I, it's have I pressure, forgotten my it's answer? Yeah, it's it's this it's, it's this literal spotlight that I'm under. Um, well, just, just reading through my notes, because I made notes like a total pro. I, I'm getting a lot of uh, science versus magic going on. This is uh, this is what popped into my head with um, the the father being an being inventor. an inventor, and he like makes inanimate objects move by themselves. Yeah, and then when he gets there, he's like inspecting the inanimate the, objects the, that the, are moving the, the by clocks, and he's like, "How how is this working?" And he's trying to he's trying to figure it out, and it's like. I, I don't know what period it's supposed to be set in. I don't know enough of history, but I'm guessing around that time across the world, there were these sort of like cultural revolutions bring, bringing people out of uh, mysticism into the world of science. Um, and I, I, I get that too with the, uh, the the Beast 
he seems like a I want to say he's got bipolar and they're, they're saying he's he's had a spell put on him or he's having spells you, you know what I mean and um I mean you oh, know it, this yeah. this isn't a complete thought but um, the, the, these are just the things that were occurring. Well, I mean, even to the me. even the kill the beast song, where Gaston's singing about the monster who lives in the woods who's going to come and eat your children. Yeah, sort man. Of conjures up images, and particularly, I think France had a number of of kind of serial killers in the like fourteen hundreds who were known as werewolves and who were tried as werewolves and tried as men who could transform into beasts. And it, so I think that sort of fits with that whole idea of what you're saying about the moment does. of like enlightenment almost. Yeah. That's um, when, when they've come along with the, uh, with the uh, with little carriage for the asylum de loons and they yeah. um, get distracted like very quickly. It's like they have this whole plan. <laughs> <laughs> and then, we are. like they have the mob already ready. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, what? There's like another Thing. Yeah, okay, like, for, forget all of that stuff that we blossomed. He's like, hey, hey, guys, meet meet me outside this guy's house. Bring 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 your pitchforks and your torches. It, it'll make sense from with that. But then it, it makes deadly more sense because they, they, they um, you're. I think you're right because there there's this kind of like in the song. It's like we don't we don't like what we don't understand. Yeah. Well, that, well I mean, even the, yeah, even the song about Belle, the song that introduces fact, Belle as a star. Yeah. yeah, the small provincial town where they yeah. talk about how strange Belle is because she's a woman who deigns to read. And you get a sense that even being a person who reads is enough to mark you as strange, let alone a woman who reads. What's reading for? Yeah. That's it. I mean, why would you read when you could just marry somebody like Gaston? I mean, what what do you want out of life? What's your objective here? Very I mean, true. it's not like you could earn money or anything like that, right? Women, know your limits. Yeah, that, again, That's... would seem to be the limit, the, the message the song is sending. What a sweet, delightful woman. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you're right, though. There is an element of that. And in fact, Belle was written... In some ways, I think, as a response to earlier uh, Disney princesses, uh, in that they were generally seen as being sort of passive and sort of waiting there. Sleeping Beauty yeah. being the prime example of like a Disney princess who sits there and waits She's to be rescued. She's just lying there asking for it, really, isn't she? Um, it's just To be dreadful. rescued, to be clear, Andy, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> but even stuff like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, for example, or even, you know, that sort of stuff. Whereas... Belle was written from the outset to be a more proactive Disney sort of protagonist, somebody who actually wanted something from the world and somebody who had bigger ideas than, you know, what she yeah. was presented with. Because her, um, um, her, her life in the castle um, is, 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 is a loss for her. Like obviously yeah. it's, it's with a beast, but it's like she she not only misses her father, but it's like what about what about all of my dreams? Yeah, my uh, ambitions. I'm stuck here in this space, which in theory, you know, I, makes me a Disney princess because I'm living in a castle with a prince. But that's not enough. I I want more. I want the world out there beyond the limits of this castle. Yeah, I was I'm I was really trying to find it. Like I, I was trying to find the meaning of the castle there, where um, so that you know when they become friends and the beast shows her the library and he's like, oh, this is yours now, and it's like it's it's both their castle. They're both stuck in this this huge place, but it's very isolated. And um, 
you know his his room is like this this scragged up mess of broken chairs and stuff and her room is the library and that they're both trapped there basically yeah. and that this is you know this is what they're feeling on the within side the this is who they are but again these these are half-formed thoughts someone save me Okay, but yeah, let's let's talk a little bit. No, that's a great. I like the whole kind of Stockholm syndrome. Well, okay, well, yeah, we 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 talk. We jump right into talking about that because I feel like that's a big sort of onion of itself. But just in terms of Bell, it's worth noting that, for example, the script for this, as we described, the production of it was a disaster. Went through several hands. Um, The last set of hands that it landed in was uh, Linda Wolverton, who before this had written a series of children's books, and she was actually tapped to write this as her first script based on her work with children's books. Uh-huh. And she made a conscious effort. She said that she had never, as a, as a young girl, identified with Disney princesses who just waited there. Uh, what she wanted to do was she wanted to write from her own perspective in a certain extent, somebody who was into books and stuff like that. And she is famous. She recalls arguments that she would have with the animators and the other plotters where, for example, she would insist on Belle reading books and they'd be like, can't she, I don't know, play with animals or something or talk to birds? And they're like, no, 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 <laughs> you're missing the point of what I'm doing here. But she she described that she could be sometimes um, aggressive in getting her point across. But she also apparently modeled the character of Gaston on several of her own ex-boyfriends. Interesting. Uh, which we'll probably circle back around to talking about Gaston as well. But do you want to jump in and talk about the uh, the Stockholm Syndrome at the heart of the story? Well, c- can we just go back to what you were saying about her being aggressive? I mean, were, were the men who were, you know, wanting her Belle to play with flowers and birds, were they considered aggressive or were they just being, you know... Healthy and masculine, yeah, and and what we expect men to be in that sort of situation. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of that there. There's a lot of uh, meta text going on there. A lot of stuff sort of simmering in the background, and I think it is interesting because I think actually, to be fair, a lot of Beauty and the Beast has aged rather well, (sighs) and it's kind of interesting because. Beauty and the Beast is one of the Disney films that got a live action remake recently, along with um, Cinderella was out already, The Jungle Book was out already, but The Lion King's coming up, Dumbo's coming up, Mm. uh, we're going to be getting all of them. But one of the interesting things about the live action remake of Beauty and the Beast is that it, in some ways, almost seems less relevant now than the animated version does. Because the animated version feels very much informed by ideas around like the harassment of women and stuff like that and the idea of the expectations that society imposes upon women. The fact that Belle is seen as being weird because she doesn't conform to society's expectations of a woman. Um, and the fact that like Gaston, you know, sees himself, he, everything he does is perfectly reasonable and rational from his perspective, when in fact he's really intrusive, creepy, and, and not at all respectful of personal boundaries. Gaston, even before oh, he... No, I didn't see that at all. Even <laughs> before Gaston, like, concocts this is, this is... His, his wonderful, crazy plan to seduce Belle by getting her father consigned to a psychiatric institution. I love that. Which, it's like, no one... Ever were. like Gaston... Take, take, oh, yeah, take well, shots like Gaston likes to persecute harmless crackpots <laughs> like Gaston, which is great. Like we'll talk about the songs in a little bit, but that is an amazing lyric. I also love the little amazing. bit later on where after Gaston outlines his plan to Monsieur Dark, 
who runs Mr. Dark, is by that the way, literally who, his literally name, literally Dark. Wow, um, who runs the local asylum? Who's, who's, he's got a fantastic voice, voice actor. Tony yeah. Jay is the actor there. He's, he's famous for narrating various things. He played, I think, the the mirror in various Disney rides at certain oh. points. But like after the point where Gaston outlines his plan, which consists of, to be absolutely clear, so I want you to to commit this harmless old man to your psychiatric institution, so I can blackmail his daughter into marrying me. Again. <laughs> Against her will, and I'll pay you money for that? To which Mr. Dark responds, So, you want me to throw her father into the asylum unless she agrees to marry you? Oh, that is despicable. I love it. And you're like, I love Dark. But I like at the start of their conversation, he's like, No, no, this this guy's harmless. Yeah. Why, why why would we do this? And then he's like, oh, money. I... But it's, it's not only money. Like It feels so, like the money yeah. is good, but the emotional suffering that it will brought yeah, somehow makes he, it sweeter. But, like, but he goes from like not wanting to do it to being fully on board yeah. with this crazy plan like really quickly. Yeah. It feels like he needed that like despair cherry on top. It's like, yeah, unless this is hurting somebody other than the inmate, I'm not interested. Come. I'm all about collateral damage. <laughs> come, yeah. come, Mr. Dog. You derive just as much pleasure <laughs> from imprisoning old crackpots as I do. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's an astounding plot. But even before Gaston does that, he is literally a walking sort of Me Too nightmare. He's this sort of guy who's like, well, I'm going to just insert myself into her life randomly. I'm going to arrange a surprise wedding for her. I'm going to seduce her, even though she's clearly not interested. I'm going to, uh, you know, walk into her house, throw my stuff all over her books and, you know, talk about how I want to have seven kids with her. Adorable kids who will be just like me. Men. Yeah. They, they, it's, um, yeah, it, they, it, I, should it, should it concern me that, that that the 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 comparisons um, that the the Gaston uh, com, com, comparisons that I had. Yes, to to all listeners, um, Andrew looks exactly like Gaston. Yeah. Just to be entirely clear, off my conversations probably, with friends have compared Andrew openly to Gaston. Probably when I don't have a beard. Yeah, it's like you're you're Gaston, but you're in disguise. Yeah, yeah. like you're hiding that slow cleft on your on your chin. <laughs> yes, that, that yeah. is a mighty cleft that it he has. A, Such a cleft is a great cleft. But again, Gaston is a fantastic character in part because his villainy is so almost low level. In that, like he's not he, his grand plan consists of pressuring a woman in a small village in the middle of France to marry him, which really isn't that big a deal in the scheme of like movie villainy. Yeah. He's not planning to murder anybody. He's initially. no Jafar. He's no Jafar. Yeah. 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 He's not it's... planning to like control a kingdom or, you know, sort of massacre, overthrow, depose the king. He's it's, no scar. It's a very kind of, it's a very traditional kind of love story. You can imagine that a lot of weddings, um, uh, used to kind of have a, a groom get up and give a speech and say, she wanted to have nothing to do with me, but I just kept on going after her. Yeah, and that happens a lot, doesn't she, it? Like in she, TV I shows, broke her down yeah, even and, in 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 film as well. Like, say anything was on television last night. Yeah, which is the great example of that where the guy with the boombox. You have John Cusack with the yeah, boombox outside like, the leave, window. Leave her alone, man. Like, like the that, romantic that, comedy that, has taught us that stalking is equivalent to love. 
Yeah, yeah, like that's um don't get me wrong, that that like works sometimes. <laughs> But it creates this weird sort of um, dynamic. A weird sort of rapey vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, where, where, where it's, it's like, um, there's some, it's, it, like, like you, 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 you don't really, um, yeah, it, it, it becomes this weird sort of like um, uh, uh, possessive thing because like they can't possibly not want uh, you yeah you just need to more be, clearly communicate how awesome yeah. you are you just um, need to yeah if you pursue it aggressively enough why can't you do it you if you if you hit your targets at work you get a promotion why why can't you just treat other people in that way that is the question and that is something that gaston seems to struggle with i think you know if he can shoot birds out of the sky if he can use antlers in all of his decorating why can't he convince Bell to marry him? Because he's good at expectorating. Again, the rhymes in this are just amazing. I They're learned, sick yeah, and dope. I look a. I learned a lot of words from from, from Beauty the and the Beast, and I learned a lot of words this evening because we had the sing along version on, and it was magical. And <laughs> like, finally, I know what they were saying. And even if I'd known as a child, I wouldn't have understood. But mommy, what's expectorating? Exactly. It, it's a very informative and educational film, even outside. You of get Beast a lot Land. of the hilarity as well, because yeah. I, like watching as a child, I think a lot of the hilarity is the kind of um, well, the animated uh, cartoon. Yeah, it's more visual. visual. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like all the slapstick, like LeFou, for example, uh, uh, like when when he uh, turns into a snowman. What a fool! What a fool! Um, and and the, I suppose, there's do we do we do we want to talk about like the thing I found amazing at the end is how uh, like all of the um, characters had their own kind of teams, like they they, they that that there there was like a team that 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 was in charge of kind of like animating. Uh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah! Anime, no, I saw that. Everyone, individual animation. Yeah, everyone's got yeah. their own animator and it's their incredible. own production designer and stuff like that. Yeah, so like the characters would have been designed individually uh, by many of the artists. Like Beast went through various iterations and various sort of permutations. Like you would have somebody whose job it was to spend three months deciding like how you would proportion Beast. What would his face be? Would his face be like a wildebeest? His body like a gorilla? Off the top. Yeah, his his ass like a baboon. Apparently, it didn't come up in the film, but. Apparently his ass is like a baboon. Um, that's according to his lead animator. We did see his ass for a bit. Just a little. I think you saw hair, though, sort of draped over. Yeah. You got to see quite the full rainbow behind is how the Disney animators describe it. But yeah, there, there's a lot of really great stuff. I mean, the animation on this is amazing. There's lots of little touches. Like, I love, for example, Cogsworth adjusting his pendulum like a tie <laughs> at one point during the film, which is absolutely beautiful. All the stuff Lumiere does with his candles. Or even, like, that wonderful sequence at the end which is the assault on the castle which looks like it should be so much bloodier than it is. And there's a point where a giant Somebody sentient... gets his teeth cracked in, uh, like, in <laughs> yeah. pieces. Yeah, and that's a giant... That's really violent. Like, that, that's like the start of American history. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly what it's... And a giant cabinet jumps down and a crushes the guy so cabinet, much yeah. that he leaves a dent in the floor. There's a moment where the teapot... Oh, man, the teapot... The teapot... Massacre. They, they, yeah, they, they scold some poor guy who just happens to be standing under underneath them it's, like that's not the worst thing they do though 
They make a guy wear women's clothes. <laughs> yeah. The movie has a couple of what might be described as exclusively gay moments in the parlance of the uh, live action remake. The live action remake very famously had an exclusively gay moment. Uh, which I believe was the acknowledgement that Lafoe may be attracted to Gaston, which is problematic of itself. The yeah, there's a bit of gay panic in this film, particularly at the end with Cogsworth and Lumiere, where Lumiere tries to kiss Cogsworth, and Cogsworth is having none of it because he's a man. Yeah, he gives him a bit of a slap, doesn't he? He does. It's like yeah. I feel like the context of that is that uh, Lu- Lumiere is comfortable in his sexuality, so he goes to give um, Cogsworth a, Cog- a hug or a kiss. And and Cogsworth, um, I think the 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 subtext is is that Cogsworth has actual feelings for for Lumiere, and yeah. and and is uncomfortable with 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 with, with that affection because um, is uh, because he's a cold repressed. His heart is made. It's clockwork. You yeah. truly are a student of human behavior, Andrew. <laughs> um, in animated form as well, I like. Uh, but yeah, the, but let's not forget like. Cogsworth is very, very English, and Lumiere is very, very pseudo-French. Let's talk about how French Cogsworth is, because there is a, mo- a wait, moment, wait. kind of like, like okay, you well, have the introductory so scene Cogsworth where you, you have Lumiere, and he's speaking in a very French accent, and Cogsworth in a very English accent. And in the very next scene, for a moment, Cogsworth is doing a French accent. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, oh, no, it's not going to do that. Cogsworth <laughs> is so French that he was originally cast as Patrick Stewart, but Patrick Stewart had to drop out due to commitments to Star Trek The Next Generation. They also tried to get Ian McKellen, who would eventually play him in the live-action remake. I mean, uh, Patrick Stewart, who played Jean- Jean-Luc Picard. Picard. Yes, the most French character in the history of French television. So French that he ordered Earl Grey tea hot. <laughs> Didn't he... Um, <laughs> Didn't he try it um, as a uh, like a French accent? They're like, no, no, don't do that. Yeah, um, they also it, tried to put a I, wig on him at one point as well. And did they ever try him with his native Yorkshire accent? I don't believe so. That would have been interesting. Yeah, but yeah, so that that's that's how French he is. He was almost played by that guy who played that French guy on that TV show at the same time. But let's talk a little bit about the sort of the castle itself because you want to talk about the Stockholm syndrome, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And I mean, um, I, I, I suppose we can go back to Lumiere. Okay, well, let's go back. Let's let's focus on Lumiere then. So you were talking about Lumiere and his Frenchness, yeah. or his faux Frenchness. He's he, he's uh, like one one wandering around the the, the the castle, probably like which which um, the little feather duster, the little feather duster, and is that line is like I've been burned before, and I appreciated that as a man who likes wordplay. That's yeah, pretty funny. Can and, we and like just for a second go back to that whole um, you know pre the the teacup scalding thing when yes. they're having that big bust up. And like, there's the villager who's plucking feathers out of the duster, oh, yeah. and I'm like, is, he's doing, he's doing what a bit of he, a. Yeah, what, what is this meant to symbolize? What, what is, what is the subtext here? Yeah, they got, they got a away with that. Villager as well. Yeah. They, they I think that's trying to represent that. that, like, like it would be worse if, if, if he were like a full shilling. Yeah, but like, if, if she were. If she um, were, if the woman. spell had been broken, yeah, while that was happening, what would he have been doing? But I, I think feel like tearing, that... like, um, is that like, is 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 that her dress? 
Yeah, it definitely would have been. Yeah, it like, would have been really that, uncomfortable that, and very. That struck me while watching it. I must. I I have to admit, and I did wonder, like, is that like pieces of of like uh, her body, her body being ripped off? Because is that her clothes? Because that's the thing with Chip as well. Because Chip obviously has a big fracture, you know, on his on his like cup. And I was wondering if he was transformed back into a human, would that be reflected? Like, would he have like a? Oh yeah, he's, he's got a big gash in his head. You know, at the end of the film, you don't yeah. see that side of his head. It's all obscured due to yeah. whatever camera placement. It's so. like the beast baboon butt. <laughs> yeah. You don't it's, see it. It's there, but you don't have to know it's there. Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about Lumiere. So in his faux Frenchness, or was that sort of... No, no, no. I, 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 I just um, in, 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 in enjoyed like him... Um, uh, just go, going, going, going about the place, trying, trying to kind of, I don't know. He seems to to um, have this. I was finding this strange in 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 Disney movies how like every woman is like gorgeous. That that and uh, like men, men. Well, every men, woman under the age of forty, under the age of forty, <laughs> is like astonishingly All, beautiful. Almost like, as when if, they're going through the village, <laughs> yeah. it's like the village of um, astonishingly beautiful women astonishingly under forty. women under forty. It's and almost it, as if Hollywood has really messed up beauty standards. And on the other hand, you have Lafoe, <laughs> and you have the baker, the, and you have like all um, the men can look like whatever they want. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, it does... Are under- people, like, like, are people meant to watch the movie and be like, um, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I wish my girlfriend had eyes that were a third, <laughs> maybe even face. half of the size of her face. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, no, there definitely is something there, but I th- I imagine it's largely down to the issues that affect the fact that women over a certain age in Hollywood also have trouble working. So it applies as much to animation, the depiction of women, because you're right that there is, like, men don't face the same standards. And in fact, like, the idea that even the animated characters, like Lafoe, for example, although Lafoe is the buffoon, but even stuff like the Asylum creeper- Keeper gets to be, like, Crypt Keeper-like, the father gets to be bumbling, the baker is like, got a big red bushy beard, even when the characters turn back, Lumaire and Cogsworth are just fairly average guys. But yeah, all the women are very much sort of, like, conventional Disney-style animation. Very sort of, like, they could each be Belle. It's very hard to tell a difference in character design between them and Belle, to pick yeah. an example. Outside I mean, the fact that Belle is more expressive because she's the, the hero character in the sense of being the protagonist. Oh, yeah. Like, she, she's uh, per, 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 perhaps, like, the best kind of, like, my, Most detailed. my favorite, uh, like, drawing in the movie. Like, of, of, very, very fond of Belle. Even when she's in the background of, of, shots. of, of, of shots, she's perfectly um, developed. Whereas, like, Monsieur Dark is standing right next to her. <laughs> <laughs> and you really notice how hand-drawn this is. Yeah, which is absolutely beautiful. Well, it has the first... Uh, no, wait, it's not the... It's it's probably the one... Like, <coughs> the um, kind of best-known um, kind of introductions of the, the uh, digital... Um, uh, animation it, but I, I, I think it was the the um the uh mouse who's like sherlock holmes what was that called the great mouse detective Basil. the great mouse detective wasn't that the first um i believe that may have had some early animation i don't know i don't know how much digital animation it had but it may have had some trial stuff but this is probably the best known example obviously yeah. the ballroom which was rendered with cap software i don't know what that stands for but it was software that was developed by pixar 
um, as like one of the early services that she, they rendered when Pixar were oh, sort of owned amazing. by Apple. Yeah, it was designed to help basically mm. artists superimpose characters over pre-rendered backgrounds so that when they were drawing stuff like the characters dancing, obviously this is in the Beauty and the Beast song, yeah. characters dancing in the ballroom, they wouldn't have to worry about like individually like painting, sketching and animating each movement of the camera through the environment. They could construct a virtual environment and move the camera like on a virtual dolly through it with the animated characters in the foreground. It's absolutely beautiful. It looks yeah. really stunning, even today. I remember watching the... There was a special featurette on our VHS version that showed us how they did it. It was uh, genuinely astounding. Yeah. I think I remember that featurette too. It was a deeply moving featurette. It's probably my favorite part <laughs> of the, the whole movie. The whole experience of waiting to get to the end so you could watch the special feature again. But it is, it's absolutely uh, stunning. And it was one of the movies that sort of normalized the use of computer-generated imagery in later projects. I think Disney's movies after that point would generally include some computer-generated animation as well, obviously leading to the, the advent of Pixar later in the decade. Uh, but in, just in terms of talking about, because you mentioned the Stockholm Syndrome, we are probably going to have to talk about the Stockholm Syndrome. Because Beauty and the Beast is the story of a beautiful woman who is abducted, uh, or who is basically trades herself into captivity of a wild beast man, and then falls in love with him. Um, while the film presents this as the idea of true love forming between Belle and the Beast, which is an interesting dynamic in some ways. Yeah, I mean, he, he's... he's um... He has to be established as 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 a monster, but we have to figure it out. Yeah, when we also have to believe um, that he 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 can be redeemed because yeah. it is it's 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 I I I I suppose a story of redemption. I wonder kind of how um, whether 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 it earns that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, this... I well I found myself wondering who the main character was like you presume it's bell but then i think beast goes through the major change and it it's just sad that the story has to be one where you know a, a man finds his true self thanks to the intervention of a manic pixie dream disney princess i like this i like this this retroactive casting it as an example of a manic pixie dream girl story in some ways because i think you're right this is one of the interesting sort of challenges of the film is the idea that it initially begins as bell's story and yeah. in fact we, we talked a little bit about like um ashman the guy who, who wrote a lot of the music he made several innovations to the basic structure of the film that helped it immensely and the first thing he did was he introduced what he called the i want song which becomes like it's a staple of later Disney films. Yeah. It's, it's usually it's derived from Broadway musicals. It's generally the third song in a Broadway musical. Maybe it's the second or the fourth. Hmm. But it's the point at which your lead character, as he describes it, sits down on a stump and sings to the audience in great detail with rich, vivid imagery what exactly they want in the world as a way of humanizing them. And I mean, it's not exactly subtle. There's the the point where Belle, you get the reprise of the small provincial town song. Yeah, and she's on that hillock. Yeah. And and it's just the most perfect moment. The three lines that are, I want, I want... I want, I want so much more than this so provincial life. So much life. more. Yeah, than this provincial life. By the way, crazy theory. Belle, I don't want to be judgmental, but maybe your big issue with the villagers is the fact that you refer so dismissively and condescendingly to the town <laughs> in which you live as this small provincial town. 
She Maybe can say what she likes. <laughs> my opinion. I mean, I'm I'm on just team Belle. Don't defend her just because you've got the hearts for her, Andrew. It was I not meant to? <laughs> I thought it was meant to be on her side. If it's not Barack, don't fix it. I like that. I did see again. I love I love Cogsworth. Cogsworth is great, but I think that there is an interesting dynamic there where Belle's motivations drive enough of the plot to start with. And I think you actually raised this point earlier on hmm. when you said that like. What Belle wants is more than this provincial life, right? But at the end of the film, how exactly does she accomplish that? How exactly does Belle get more than the provincial life? Has she just swapped the life in a small town for the life in a big castle? And is that a change? Like, I mean, there's no indication she and whatever the beast's name is are going to travel the world, that she's going to see beyond the world that she's established. She's moved from the provincial town to a castle a couple of miles away. Yeah, in a a woods, there are some wolves nearby. She's seen those wolves, man. She's seen some truth. Isn't what they do in castles is entertain people and then presumably go around to other castles being entertained? Um, but only it, if they're pretty, because otherwise they get turned away and, and get to curse them. The the um, I is it and it's the only enchanted castle. So um, like it's not enchanted at the end. But what if that was the um? Can we please go back to the enchanted castle? <laughs> because it's just different to all the other ones. Yeah, do you think like, like, the there, there's a huge tourism all trade now? All of the anthropomorphic characters are like, we never get to entertain anymore. It's like, you should probably be entertaining more. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you have like this, this thing that you, it, sets it, you it, apart. Yeah. It's like, this is your brand, baby. Like, I mean, that musical number you do, uh, be, your, uh, be Our Guest. By the way, Be Our Guest I, was originally, originally intended to be performed for Maurice earlier in the film, but they decided that it was such a good show showcase number that they wanted it later in the film with Belle as its focus which is why it's sort of shifted later and it, it doesn't really fit story wise because it's yeah. like uh, by the way we know that the beast told us not to feed you but we're going to have a big musical number in the middle of the house and hope he doesn't notice <sighs> that so much happens that one night yeah like she saves her dad well first her dad gets kidnapped she saves him that, is it the same night? Yeah, he's, and, he's, he's, on, she his way, he's yeah. on his way to yeah. the fair. Yeah. He's on his way to the fair. And then, you know, she goes to cry in her oh, room. Hold and, on, though. Isn't it like it's it's nighttime in the forest? Yeah. yeah so and, and, it, and then the next day, she's Philly like, arrives. oh, he, he, uh, he hasn't gotten back. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. But, you know, by the way, a lot of stuff happens. It, yeah, overnight. It's, a, it's a very yeah, intense sort of much. period and like the Be My Guest song is, is while beautiful feels like a weird capper on it. Yeah, it was probably happening around 2am yeah. in the timeline of the film. And, it, it and she feels very into it like for somebody who's going through an emotional roller coaster. It feels like the villagers know nothing about this castle that is five minutes away. <laughs> yeah. But The, I, the, um, the um, thing that I wondered about Philippe was I was shocked when at some point she... Um, she, she she goes to escape. Um, she and then she runs out of the castle, and Philippe is there. And I'm like, he's been there this whole time. <laughs> Andrew's wondering what Philippe's kind story of, like, is. Like never checked in on Philippe I, like, I whatsoever. There wasn't like could... a thing where where the little uh, pillow is 
like hanging out with Philippe. Or the little spider carriage or whatever yeah. the hell that is that, that drops her phone. Yeah. And I don't want to see what that, <laughs> what that turns back. I, I don't think it has a corresponding person yeah, or an animal. It would have been the horse anything. and cart, right? It would have been. Although, presumably, it's the horse. I don't know. I don't, like, I'm, I'm, I'm. No, no, I'm pretty sure the people who made it are on record to say that not, not every object has a corresponding human interesting oh so yeah. just like it just came to life yeah, so yeah. When, when it's they, just magic so when they removed the enchantment did they kill that thing yeah but it wasn't alive ever really alive that's really depressing this is like david does, cronenberg's beauty and the beast does it become <laughs> a a um a carriage though like does, I would it, assume like, does so. this become um, something inanimate yeah, so do you do you ride around inside the discarded husk of this spider entity that was just <laughs> up until recently dropping guys home for you? That's what if what if you as a um as like a household item fell in love with another household item yeah. and then became unenchanted and realized you had been in love <laughs> in an inanimate object yeah. for all these years. Yeah. The past 10 years. Because let, let's talk about the chronology of this. Because the chronology of this is wonderfully yeah, messed up. Yeah, so he it's, was 11 when yes. he got the curse. Because it's it's he has to find true love by his 21st birthday. And the curse has been running for 10 years by the time that we joined them in the film. Yeah, so this means that like an old woman showed up at the door, right? An old woman was like, let me into your house. And this 11-year-old kid opened the door who'd probably been told, don't talk to strangers and certainly don't let them wander around this gigantic enchanted, or non-enchanted, <laughs> but very posh and very fine castle. Especially if they're ugly. Yeah. But he was like, so, no, I can't let you say. It's like, okay, curse. And by the way, if you can't get, uh, if you can't get somebody to love you by the time you're 21, that's it. Boom. You're a beast forever. And the, the, this the, this movie created a, a trade in old women selling roses because they, <laughs> they, 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 nobody's going to yeah, say no just now. Go into like any bar and and yeah, you you know that you could become enchanted if you don't buy the rose from 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 the old lady selling them. Yeah, so they, 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 it's it, it's it, that's the main effect that this movie has <laughs> had, had on pop culture. It's made rose selling a much more popular pastime. Um, just in terms of the beast, and it's kind of interesting that you talk about like the transition of the story from being Belle's story to being the beast story because mm. it does happen around the midpoint. And it's kind of interesting because it happens around the time of um, there must be something there. Um, that song that they sing right before uh, the Beauty and the Beast song. The one where, uh, something that I didn't see before. Oh, yeah. Which was a last minute edition by Ashman when the writers sat down and they said they couldn't get to the point where Belle and the Beast would fall in love. They had him rescuing her from the wolves, mm-hmm. but that didn't work in terms of plot because that just seemed like she was tending to him like a Florence Nightingale thing. So they needed something I to cut. I was impressed by his violence. So they, yeah. they, 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 they needed, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So and they were like, so they were like, well, this won't watch We need a romantic montage. Yeah. Um, and it was Ashman who came up with that. And Ashman came up with the whole something that, w- that wasn't there before involving stuff like playing in the library and throwing snowballs. And it does other. feel like, isn't he singing, but like... He's, in his head. In his head. Yeah. He's singing. Uh, with a completely different voice th- because he doesn't sing I elsewhere th- in the At this point, it would be strange if Beast started singing. 
Yeah. To uh, like like she's probably appreciating getting to see like a, a different a side song. of him, but then he starts singing and it's like, whoa, <laughs> that whoa, was too whoa. much. Slow down. <laughs> yeah. I still kind of like the <laughs> the rugged man. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I like that she um, she um, she's the kind of girl who who will who will like um, uh, um, lift 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 up the bowl um, and 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 drink it as well. Like the the the, um, the, 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 the that, that was like a kind of like a touching moment. You know where where um, he's making a complete pig of, her, of 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 himself, and then feels embarrassed, and she, she sort of like embarrasses herself almost to make him feel comfortable. Yeah, she yeah. Sort of shows him that he doesn't have to pretend, which is lovely. It's very touching. And she, yeah, she's talking about kind of how unsure of himself he seems, yeah. and how it kind of like um, somehow endearing it is. Yeah. Fun fact: uh, Paige O'Hara, who played Belle in the film, hmm. um, she had noticed that the... Mo- and this is something that actually I've had people observe to me, people who are fans of the film, is that in The Beast perhaps is a bit more manly or macho or to a certain mindset appealing. And perhaps yeah. this says something about the women that I've dated. But I've, I've been told pretty consistently that The Beast is sexier uh, than the prince he turns into. Oh, yeah. To the point yeah. where... Uh, Paige O'Hara, who played Belle, originally ad-libbed a line, do you think you could grow a beard uh, that didn't make it into the final cut, but did make it into the Disney remake, the recent live-action remake? <laughs> but it's kind of interesting how that is, how that's sort of like, how the rugged, animalistic very beast... impressive prince. Yeah. Yeah. He's very bland, and it's kind of weird because it's treated as a big reveal. Yeah, but I, like it almost does do it because he's like, it's me. <laughs> and she's like looking at him like what yeah she <laughs> do, she does a great face for a second yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure do, to be fair this is the question she looks about... in his eyes and can't see that he doesn't have like like she can imagine if she if she if she goes in like close enough <laughs> she could almost see the animalistic the, bloodlust yeah. <laughs> the, the, the urge in there but I mean it is it is kind of yeah it's interesting like what happens like he has to convince her to love him in order to break the spell, right? Hmm. What happens if breaking the spell were to cause her to stop loving him? Now, I know this is a Disney film and that's never going to Whoa. happen. But is this like, does the rose go back? Does he get another 10 years? Is the clock started again? This, well, is, this is some Matrix level yeah, it's like, it's like philosophy if, you're throwing at us here. If, she does, if he's changed, if he's fundamentally changed, as he is as a person, because it's implied that he's getting more beastly as he goes on. But that's hinted at. Yes. Yeah. Because Lumiere, like, he's asking, like, oh, I, I want to do something for her. And it's like, um, oh, no, actually, it's Cogsworth, who, who's like, um, uh, flowers, chocolates, promises you don't <laughs> intend to keep. Uh, or, yeah, he, he's like, I promise, I'm, I'm, I'm. Um, don't worry, I'm 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 not going to change. I'm I'm still going to um, be the, be the same beast that you um, <laughs> fell in love yeah, with. Yeah, and as soon as like they get hitched, it's like, <laughs> ex, 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 except he's this kind of like bland prince. Now. <laughs> yeah, it's like I wish you'd be a little bit more of a dick. Yeah, yeah. you're far too friendly, sociable, and pleasant, and surprisingly well adjusted for somebody who turned into a beast at the age of well, ten. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> there's, there's, the problem, really, isn't it? He's been socially isolated for <laughs> ten, 10 years. For half his life, to be yeah. honest. I think um, that's the appeal of Beast for her. The, uh, like, there's a line when it's like, it's new and a bit 
alarming. <laughs> I like that. It's the red lights that make it particularly attractive. Yeah. Right? It's like the, the warning signs. Because I feel, again, I feel like that's a ridiculous. Like if we were like we talk about obviously um, the Gaston as the villain of the piece or whatever. Mm. But I mean that witch who that enchantress. You know, who sort of just shows up and is more more like entraptress, if you will. <laughs> but she shows up, she finds a 10-year-old kid who refuses to let her into the castle yeah. and curses him to force somebody to love love him by the age of 21. Right? Imagine, that's a hard enough thing for anybody to do. Find somebody who loves you for who you are at the age of 21. But with the handicap of being an enormous, gigantic beast who, if you are sighted, will cause entire villages to hunt you down and try and murder you. It does feel a little bit unfair. I do feel like, you know, the beast kind of has an excuse for his... Oh, I, yeah, I feel like does, at the end but... of the movie, hmm. when, 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 when they, 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 they've all been kind of like turned back into kind of like Mrs. Potts and Chip and, and they're... The um, villagers have been defeated, but they don't really have an enemy anymore. I feel like there are st- still some villagers who are like, you're just that punk kid, the same as you ever were. <laughs> that 11-year-old that nobody liked. <laughs> you haven't changed. <laughs> or you've changed and changed back. <laughs> um, that's Simpsons moral. An interesting argument that's been made repeatedly about the film, and I actually find it interesting in terms of talking about the Beast character mm. arc, is that the Beast has been read by some people and including people who worked with um, Ashman on the film as a metaphor for AIDS as a metaphor for people suffering from HIV and and with AIDS because Ashman while he was working on the film uh, had been diagnosed with it and he knew he was obviously he knew he was dying and in fact he didn't get to attend the premiere although the animators flew out after that New York Film Festival screening and Hmm. told him what the reaction was to it. And apparently it was a beautiful moment. But some of his colleagues... Oh, that is lovely. It is lovely. Uh, some of the colleagues who worked on the film with him and who he told about his condition, actually. And again, they talk about, like, in 1991. Like, whatever about AIDS, AIDS still having a stigma attached to it. Yeah. Now, in 1991, it was a huge deal to, to come out with and to say... Like, I mean, even Philadelphia, which would have normalized it somewhat, was still three or four years in the future. But he basically... The people he worked with said that... He had written some of the lyrics and some of the songs and some of the characterization of the beast uh, as informed by the idea of somebody who was experiencing what he was, who felt like what it was to be a social outcast, to be cast out, to be caught in a degenerative state, because it's heavily implied that the beast is becoming more bestial um, as he goes and to know that his time is running out. So as soon as that flower goes, it'll just be, it's gone. He, he's gone entirely. Yeah. And it's implied that he will be lost. Well. And the idea of being sort of slowly ravaged by something and feeling locked away and being hated in the way the villagers uh, hate him and the villagers want to destroy him. And even the theme of difference, I think, that, that Andy pointed out at the start of the, the podcast, this idea of villagers hating something that's different than them, something that's other than them, something that they don't understand. Which but I think would I, very much reflect the experience of somebody who was living I, with AIDS in the in the early nineties. I don't know if there was any sense though at that time of 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 there being any um, uh, future or salvation for people. Yeah. Because um, because in 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 the case of Beast, there there is there is this kind of like hope. I think at the time, it, it, like the way the way I thought of um, AIDS as a child, because occasionally you would see like a a um, television movie or something. Um, yeah. Uh, featuring a character with AIDS, and you you know at some point they're going to die. Yeah, 
where very 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 verses in this it's 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 it it's about beast kind of um like has some kind of hope of a cure yeah but on the on the other hand though but again i think that's a disney fairy taleification of it like i mean you're never going to get a disney movie where at the end of it beast is lost forever and that's the moral because kids we need to learn that but i do think that like i think it's possible to draw on those experiences now it should be noted Sorry, go for it. Sorry, no, no, I mean, the the reward, sure, in the film terms, comes out as he gets to be, become a man, but the, the crux of the spell is that someone has to love him, and, you know, he has to be loved, and that's that's the end of his arc. Everything else is just denouement. It's, you know, if if we're running with that metaphor, it makes a, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, he, he can die with love in his heart. Yeah, yeah. Like, and in a way, the you could argue the beast does die. He is physically transformed. He's not the same man that he was in a very literal sense at the end of it. To the point where even Bell doesn't seem to recognize him. Agreed. But I I think you know wh- whether it's AIDS or as I was talking about you know some sort of me- mental yeah. health problem. Um, yeah, I don't think it it matters what it is. I just I just view the world in terms of mental health problems. That's, yeah. there, that's there my fascination. But um, love is kind of like the answer. Yeah, whether that's self love or or love love. But uh, I I'm still troubled by. The, the beast and like uh, obviously it's got the the because it's based on the classic story he's still like he earns this yeah. woman she saves him but he's got he's got like a sort of uh, incel sort of vibe about him where he's like nobody can ever love me therefore i will hate everyone yeah yeah it's, it's watch like, me destroy this watch me yell at this woman because yeah, i know she'll never I've, love me i've been oh i'm so isolated an outcast no one understands me like yeah even if you have a mental health problem and you're lovely on the within side it doesn't mean that anyone owes you love there's definitely like i got the sense that um uh kind of Belle has been established as this kind of like she's so strange and she kind of like does her own thing that 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 that's almost like the appeal of um of 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 beast is like no one will understand this you know that and 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 it's almost like in spite of people like they in and in spite of herself almost like that 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 she's um that she's being with beasts because she knows that people will disapprove, and she knows Ooh. it's somehow wrong. You are very just, you are inside yeah. Belle's mind right now, aren't you? It's it's astounding. It's amazing to behold. But I, I do think Andy has a sort of a point, and this is the kind of thing where we were talking earlier about, like how Gaston is the embodiment of all these sort of toxic. Oh, jokes he's about, like, he's alt right to the max. Yeah. yeah, he's he's like he's basically your he in an eighties rom com. Like he'd be your lovable protagonist. Um, he'd be the guy who'd like stand outside Belle's window <laughs> with whatever the equivalent of a boombox is. By the way, fun fact. The animators um, and a lot of Disney fans believe that Gaston might have been the hunter who killed Bambi's mother. 
with your Disney shared universe. That's why he has so many antlers for all of his decorating. Um, but yeah, Disney because, cinematic universe. Yeah, because apparently Bambi's the model that's used for Bambi's mother appears at the very start of the uh, of the film, wow. implying that Bambi lives in the woods near the the sort of village. So it's entirely possible that Gaston might have been responsible for killing Bambi's mother. But anyway, but I think the interesting thing is that while the film, I think, is actually quite clever in the way that it plays Gaston as this sort of like this really threatening, creepy figure, despite the fact that he's only low key creepy by Disney standards Mm. in that, like his plan is to force a woman into a relationship uh, as opposed to like overthrow a kingdom or like kill his brother or father or whatever. I think that you're right that there is an element of that with Beast where... And this is probably... This is just where it sort of perpetuates that. Because Beast's story is also something very similar to an 80s rom-com. Where it's like... Or an 80s sort of romantic movie. Where it's like, lock this woman up in your castle. Oh yeah, he and, he's totally Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It, it's disgusting. Where it's like, yeah, lock this woman up in a tower of your castle. Yell at her a little bit. Oppress her. Tell her she has to come down and have dinner with you or she won't eat at all. And in gradual time, she'll come to see the warmth that nests inside of you. <laughs> she'll come to accept you for who you are and to cherish you as a human being and respect you in a way that normal people can't. And I, I wonder to what extent as well all of the like uh, teapots and cups and clocks and candles <laughs> want... Uh, <laughs> Beast to find love because they really think he's a good guy. To what extent they're like, like come on. Let's just like, the clock do, is ticking. Yeah, let's just like, take one for the team, Bell. Yeah. Like like, like How they, many of them have Bell's best interests in know that this is a bad idea, but they're trying to parent trap them. Yeah, I mean Lumiere is pretty shady about this whole thing. Yeah. Like he tricks her into going to find her father by like did you see that little, little that yeah. mischievous look on his face yeah. as he runs away and she follows his light yeah. up, up the, the stairs? The stairs. Like, yeah. Christ, Lumiere. Just... Yeah, everybody in this movie is a little bit creepy. But yeah, Lumiere in particular is a very sort of like, it doesn't really matter yeah. what, what Belle thinks of Beast. All that matters is that if we lock them up together for a sufficient period of time, they will fall in love with one another and, we, and everything will be gone. Now, I, I know we're probably we ha- looking... We have to admit that, like, in spite of how creepy a lot of these characters are, they're very charming. Oh, yeah, they are they're, undoubtedly. They're, they're, uh, We've talked about how much we love the film. Like, but, I mean... But yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, one, one character, and I, I wonder if you agree, who is not charming at all, is Chip. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh, Chip, Chip is a little boy. You can't. Chip got me wondering. Um, well, he he messes up the idea of the beast aging in ten years because presumably, like Mrs. Potts didn't have like sex with whatever Mister Potts had become and produced Chip within the last ten years, right? Yeah, so I that think means, I think that because um, otherwise that that's Chip's very cool Miss, to discovering he has a human body for the first time. I think Miss, <laughs> Mrs. Potts and Mister Potts. Um, had I think Miss Mrs. Potts was pregnant when they got enchanted, and I think at some point Beast, in a rage, um, like um, broke Mister Potts, who was like a coffee pot, um, and killed him. 
that's 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 my fan theory. But I mean, to be fair, to be fair, they they do cower from beasts. They're only putting up with beasts because he's their only ticket out of there. <laughs> like, 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 like the, I, do you think that if all it the doesn't matter what they do, yeah, but if they, all the inanimate objects got together, do you think they could overpower and murder the beast? But if they well, murder the beast, would that do? If they murder the beast, <laughs> then they can, then like they can never be turned back. Turned back. Like, they don't know there's no loophole. Maybe <laughs> if he I, dies, it's game over. They I, I, they can all return to normality. Man. I love the idea of like them murdering him and like hanging his like torso from the tower to convince the enchantress to turn them back. <laughs> it's like, look, we took care of him. We'll let you in again. Because again, I, they just seem to be like they were just staff working at the castle who got transformed yeah. into these inanimate objects. They're servants, and not even like the family least of they servants. Can do is spend the rest of eternity with. Like that's probably what they want, yeah. isn't that what any servant wants? Well, that's exactly. Isn't that the whole <laughs> like, point of be our guest? Is that like what serve. is the point of a servant who does yeah. not serve? Yeah. Um, yeah. The the I, I I I love the bit when they're 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 walking along with Belle, and she's like, oh yeah, it's um it's this enchanted uh, castle, and Bosworth <laughs> is like, uh, sorry, um, uh, Cogsworth is like. Who said anything about it being enchanted? <laughs> this is a living hell. <laughs> you have no idea what we've lived through. Because uh, again, you just figured out that like they they um they're an an animated like clocks and candles and things, <laughs> and that this isn't normal. <laughs> no, I like the fact that they never had that conversation. But it happens as well. Like after Beast gets caught, um, after he gets sort of attacked by the wolves, when Bell is tending his wounds and he does the little roar at her. Like, all the all the inanimate objects are hiding, which kind of gives credence to Andrew's theory that at some point, Beast probably smashed one of them. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it was Mr. Oh, yeah. Potts. Yeah. But, I mean, and look he, at, like, how many of the broken chairs and tables in his bedroom yeah. were once people. alive. Yeah. Well, or, think about it. Like, the portrait of him as an adult, if he was a child when he was transformed, <clears> how <throat> is there a portrait of him as an adult unless it's an enchanted portrait? In which case, he just carved a dude's face off. Like, sort of reverse Dorian Gray? Yeah, yeah. Or, I'm no, a, a straight-up Dorian Gray. Yeah. Um, maybe he was an adult and... Time froze time or something? Time froze. Is, but how would it be his 21st birthday? It's very uh, strange. It's best I don't know. to think about Also, things. let's... Um, I mean, it was his birthday during that whole fight, and no one mentioned it once. <laughs> it's very rude when Gaston was like uh, trying to murder him. Yeah, he was like, happy birthday, Beast. He's, he's just in the corner of his room, like having a solitary birthday, going online via his magic mirror. You know. <laughs> checking the Instagram, checking yeah. Kel's Instagram. On on 4chan via the magic mirror, just well, like no, no one. No one understands me. Yeah, or incel uh, on Reddit. But yeah, it's very, it is, there is something very disconcerting about Beast. As like, as appealing as the narrative is, there's something like, it's a literal, a woman can change you narrative. Because the love of a good woman literally does change it. Oh yeah, Um, I, I feel like his story isn't necessarily that, I mean, obviously all fiction is as it's presented to us. But I I really feel like it's his story was just edited, so he came off as charming. But there's a lot of stuff we didn't see. Well, <laughs> lost in the gaps between. Yeah, like 
then what, what, what happened to Mr. He, Fox? He's just having like monologues <laughs> with his friends. <laughs> and then, like, I, I, I feel like the little rants that he holds in the dining room for the staff yeah. every well, day. I think, I think, like, there's not, there's all sorts of kind of possibilities as to kind of like to answer these questions. What happened before, um, like in those ten years? What happened to Mister Potts? What was it? Was it? Did Maurice? Like when he was introduced into into the house, how long was he really there? Um, did he notice Mrs. Potts and and say to um, to Beast, um, like I I am an inventor and I can create a machine that that will save you, but I want I I I, I want Mrs. Potts. I want you to get rid of Mr. Potts. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. There's yeah. all these uh, possibilities that are running through your head. So there's another film that could be out there where the beast is amenable to this. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then so so but yeah so Bell no but like Bell's dad then takes Mrs. Potts home and he forces her into slavery and she becomes his prisoner. We don't hear from the beast or Bell again. I like that. It just becomes yeah, that story. Miss, yeah, Maurice becomes the beast. Metaphorically and, uh, in there. Yeah. Like and, and Mrs. Potts. It turns Potts. out man was the beast all exactly. along. Twilight Zone. the gangster of love. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's... But uh, I think it is, it is possible to overanalyze. But I do, I, I do think that there there is, there is a lot of interesting stuff there, particularly with regards to how the beast is portrayed. I do think, though, it is something that is perhaps a relic of an older time, this idea that you need the love of another person to validate you. I suspect that if you were st- telling this story from scratch today, all the beast would need is to accept himself or something like that, some oh, sort yeah. of self-actualization. I believe it would probably be... Yeah, how I, w- I, w- like, I wonder if kids these days learn, like... Um, in, 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 in important kind of enlightened lessons about things that that like all the lessons that we learn were kind of out of movies like this that yeah. like all we had to all we had to do is like beat beat up a whole lot of like the the um, beat up I, some wolves i think like after watching things like beauty and the beast i think we've spoken on the podcast before about me beating up hordes of junior infants yeah but um it really but, explains a lot of provides a sense the, of context yeah I think. this movie kind of like taught me that that was a thing that i needed to, to like, do. be able to, to wrestle a to bunch of wild wolves when, yeah. Yeah. yeah is this why you get into so many scraps i don't because you're trying to be the beast <laughs> yeah but I, I do think that there is something there in terms of because, and again, you're right when you wonder like, is the modern generation of like filmgoers are modern kids who are learning about movies where the message does tend to be more along the lines of look, the only thing that matters is that you accept yourself, mm. or if you watch Cars two, the only thing that matters. <laughs> have you watched Cars two? No. Cars two is amazingly terrible, <laughs> but it has the great moral that all that matters is that your friends accept you as who you are regardless of how racist, ignorant, or offensive you want to be. It's a beautiful piece of work. But mostly speaking, like a lot of modern films sort of hinge around the idea of accepting yourself, coming to terms with who you are and your own identity. So think about, for example, Inside Out, for example, uh, would be one of those where Riley has to come to terms with the emotions inside of her and make peace with those. And I do wonder if this is like... First of all, do we think that this is a, a good thing that we're moving away from stuff like the Beauty and the Beast, 
what you need is other people to love you? I don't or, know. It's very difficult to tell because like, there's something kind of um, uh, seductive and kind of persistent about this kind of um, idea of love kind of... Conquering uh, being, all the changes. Or, or being the real kind of, um, of romantic love being the... Um, the most important thing that you could um, uh, earn. Yeah. Or the most important thing in your life is to be loved romantically by mm. other people. Yeah, and 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 that like I definitely grew grew uh, oh, yeah. grew 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 up thinking that. Is there a problem that people are going to kind of not grow up thinking that? Is it um, better or is it worse? Well, I mean, I think if we live in a world where we accept that nobody owes you love, it's probably a better thing to grow up thinking that love is not essential for you to be a well-rounded individual. But it, like, like, I it, think are, now... It, is it going to, like, become a, a, a world of very kind of, like, isolated people who aren't necessarily <laughs> lo- looking for... for um, who 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 don't who don't who don't ever find their their true love because they don't need them. No, I I feel like we're at a mid stage. If that is your ultimate uh, no. nightmare scenario, where it's like, like, well, like hey, Andrew why why aren't you in love with me? Because I go to the gym, I work out, I'm at peace with myself, I meditate. What? I'm the perfect guy. I'm the perfect guy. I go to the gym. What? I'm a great catch. I'm a great catch. Why don't you love me? Imagine the world, if you will. <laughs> Nothing, nothing, Where nothing says, nothing yeah. says a guy is a great guy like a guy saying he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think there's maybe something to that. We're at, we're at that sort of intermediate phase because I think we've, we're reaching the point where we've accepted that nobody owes anybody else love, which has, I think, like the idea that somebody's owed love is something that has sort of permeated culture and, and myth and story since God knows when. And I suspect has, in some way responsible for a lot of the warped attitudes that exist uh, in popular culture and a lot of assumptions that people have. And I think that it's good that we're maybe more cognizant of that not being the way that things are. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that Andy's right that we're not at the stage where we've made peace with it. Well, I, I feel like from my takeaway from watching particularly Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, you know, I really... I feel like I relate so much to to Belle and to Aladdin because they're they're drawn from this sort of like misunderstood child. Like I I wish people could see the real me, yeah. and that's what I got from it. I didn't get like someday an attractive member of the opposite sex will see the real me. I got someday society at large. We'll see the real me. Uh, uh, by, like, the way, by the way, Andy is like gripping the air like it's a skull, like it's nuclear skull. power. Yeah. Um, yeah sorry, sorry, that, I interrupted that was, your monologue. That was the end of my. Um, but one day, society will see the real you. Yeah, one day, you know, like they'll find out. There's so much more to me. Bit of a lad in there. Please don't sue us. Thank you, Disney. Um, but yeah, so what about yourself, Andrew? What do you make of it? What do you think about that? Do you, yeah, I, 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 I think, I think I came to the conclusion that um, it didn't matter what society uh, would think of it. <coughs> I think it mattered to me a lot. Like, I got to a point maybe around seven where it was like, all I need is a girl to like me, like just <laughs> one. And, and it wasn't probably until I was around twelve or thirteen that I was like. 
I kind of like everyone. I, 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 I would like everyone to like me. <laughs> uh, um, like, because it kind of bums me out that everyone can't stand me. And you yeah. never stopped on that quest <laughs> for every woman to like you. Andrew. No, no. I didn't, I not every you. woman. Not every every oh, every girl. Like, sorry. So every person. Every person. Society. Every person. Every I mean, individual yeah. person out there. Um, not not society as a group. Every individual human being. Okay, yeah. individuals. Andrew, if it yeah. makes you feel better, and, I love you. Yeah, and I accept it, you. Thank you, Darren. That 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 does make me feel better. I'm not I, going there. Uh, but the, yeah, I I guess at some point, yeah, when, like like for a while, I felt like I could just be satisfied. Um, Would platonic with, love have satisfied with, the rose? No, no. They, they, oh. Like if Beast found a really good male friend who he enjoyed watching Blu-rays with. Like, would yeah. that have, like, satisfied? Like, the guy comes around and, and Beast is like, hey, check out my Blu-ray player. I've got Beauty and the Beast. It's a great film. Um, and the friend is like, what? And then the music, do, 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 do. You go to the Enchantress and uh, she she's, and, like, do you ask her the questions about, like, yeah. hey, um, enchantress does it count if and it is like um uh, <laughs> I didn't really put that much thought into it kind of don't yeah, play but, but like baseball yeah. it's not technically in the rule book um there's nothing about it in the rule book I, I don't know how does magic work in these scenarios do, do the spells themselves have their own yeah. rules like is the spell did a the sort of consciousness that's keeping an eye on what's going on or did the enchantress like give like a 10 minute presentation when she left because like yeah. she cursed them and obviously they all transformed so many and lumiere, caveats lumiere knows enough about and cogsworth knows oh, enough they about all know, the yeah. curse to know like you know have to be 21 before the age of 21 it's gonna last 10 years the last petal falls so like was the enchantress like now you guys need to pay attention if you have three takeaways from this <laughs> curse what i want you to take away is one, it's going to last about 10 years. Two, Two it's going to expire on his 21st birthday. Three, health and safety, yeah. and because you don't want to wake up as a person with a massive chip in the side of your head. Yeah. Okay, now, people, let's try and have fun. Let's just try to have fun out there. <laughs> There's coffees in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> you can mostly drink them out of chip. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about with Beauty and the Beast? Anything we haven't discussed already that we've missed? I like, I like, I like that moment where they were, um, like... Obviously, the entire scene where they were dancing in the ballroom, aside from it being kind of like um, technically wonderful, technically wonderful, it, 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 like just a very kind of in enjoyable kind of heartwarming scene. But I, 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 I especially like the little touch of uh, the beast kind of gulp. Oh, when he's when he takes her in hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, mm. the the interesting fact about that is that. They originally, Angela Lansbury didn't want to sing that because she didn't think she had the voice to carry it off. She wanted them to get Celine Dion, who obviously performed the R&B version, which you heard at the end of the film. Um, oh. <laughs> but, but yeah, Lansbury didn't feel she had the vocal chops yeah. to pull that off. So what they did was they said, look, give us one take and do it however the hell you want, but give us one take and just do it, go for it, and we'll play it back and we'll see how it sounds. 
And apparently, I don't know if it's the take that they used in the film, but it was close enough that they played it back for everybody. And everybody's like, yep, yeah, it's, it's got to be Lansbury, including Lansbury herself. It's a beautiful sequence. Yeah, it's oh, incredibly nice. touching and affecting. And in fact, I can still... Like, obviously, I remember a lot of the individual lyrics of Beauty and the Beast because they're so fun. Um, the opening sequence famously is a seven-minute seven musical, uh, which is, you know, the small provincial town. But when the lyricists submitted it to Disney, they were worried that Disney would reject it because it's this sort of Broadway theater sort of bantering back and forth. And in fact, there's a wonderful sequence, and I didn't notice it really until we had the sing-along version on, but the bit where Gaston is chasing Belle through the crowd, and you have the, the crowd bantering with one another, and you can barely hear it in the mix. The idea is just a conversation, but it still rhymes. It's still like structured, it still hits the rhythm and the cues, even though it's this crowd of people just yelling over one another about goose, uh, geese, and about the price of eggs and such. It's really, really great. Um, but apparently, yeah, Disney Disney loved it. Too uh, expensive. Yeah. Where is my child? <laughs> <laughs> it's just quickly moving on. It's like, hold on, wait a wait, second. Uh, that woman lost her child. This feels important. <laughs> we should come back to that one. Um, there's also, yeah, I, it's a voice that sounds curiously like Gaston saying, if you'll excuse me, my dear, uh, or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, it's it's really really beautiful and really well put together. But apparently Disney yeah. loved it. The the seven minute introductory musical number. Hmm. Gaston dies so young, like he, he doesn't get to kind of <laughs> oh, like. God, you he, sympathize with that guy speaking, so much. Really does, being, I feel like a like, recurring motif um, of the podcast is how he, much Andrew likes Gaston. Yeah, if he if he could just have been bested and have to return to the town where like just, the women are still like kind of. Outrageously attractive. Well, he's learned his but lesson. And in love with him. He's learned his he lesson. He learned his lesson by falling off so, a cliff and dying. He's not so conceited now. Well, you, you know that because the, he's dead. Yeah, you know that the, the original ending was going to have him surviving the fall. Whoa. Uh, but then having the wolves eat him alive. Oh, wow. that's fantastic. That, that's the ending. They eventually recycled it for Scar kind of in ah. The Lion King where the hyenas turn on him after he falls from Pride Rock. But the that, original ending was going to be he was going to fall off the cliff. There was also a suggestion that he would completely lose his mind when he realized that <laughs> Belle was that Belle was in love with the beast instead of him, and he would basically he would stab the, <laughs> he would stab the beast on the um, on the edge of the sort of roof and almost throw himself off while laughing manically um, <laughs> to the point where the animators who originally sort of like storyboarded this described it as akin to Heath Ledger in Batman: The Dark Knight, uh, where he just gets thrown off the roof and he's like. Ah! <laughs> um, so yeah well i i mean going back to my my lofty ideas about visual um and narrative metaphor i think the, those wolves were you know when when both bell and beast are fighting them there's something going on there in their own psyches and if indeed gaston had fallen only to survive and then get eaten but if he'd fallen with a maniacal laugh only to survive and then get eaten that would that that makes perfect sense in terms of what the wolves represent they sort of the, the, the darkness they're, they're, they're the darkness with, within each of us that yeah. that that bell and beast face in the woods together yeah and that beast almost succumbs to his bestial nature in, in order to fight yeah. right? sort of like he's sort of transformed and succumbed and it's only after that that he's able to pull himself back towards something resembling humanity yeah that the, the um because I, I I I must have watched this as a child and thought um, Gaston is is trying to save uh, Belle from from the beast. He just doesn't understand that 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, to be honest, if you look, and this is the only time I'm going to say this, if you look at the movie from Gaston's perspective, uh, ignoring the whole, like, lock her father up in a, in a psychiatric institution in order to force her to marry me thing. That which a bit it's a bit of a <laughs> true with it. It's a bit of a red la- red flag, let's be honest here. But like so he, he discovers that the beast exists. He discovers that the beast has A kidnapped Belle's father and B held Belle captive to the point where she's developed Stockholm syndrome. And C, he's the best hunter in the village. I mean, what is his civic responsibility at that moment? If not, I I feel like his civic responsibility is to emotionally manipulate a bunch of small minded Frenchmen to walk into the woods and try and murder an ex-prince. I mean, come on! It's a French Revolution. It's a French revolutionary narrative. He's he's bringing power to the people. He's yeah, I mean, there's the not. Uh, t- to be honest, after after the beast gets reprincified, there's not that much of a great future for him and Belle and and their family. Really, is there? I mean, things are going to get pretty rough for <laughs> for, for the yeah. for the monarchy. <laughs> when you look at French history, there, yeah. yeah. I love the idea that the French, the, the French Revolution was a result of various complicated factors, <laughs> including a brief period of history where the Prince of France was transformed into a hideous beast man. Um, they what, don't really what, talk about it in the history what, books. That much. I, I mean, we've got to go back to that, that song where it's like, we, we don't like what we don't understand. And this monster is mysterious, at least. <laughs> Kill it. And, Kill and um, 50 Frenchmen can't be wrong. <laughs> These are amazing lyrics. I, the, the whole thing is fantastic. Like, I mean, again, and there are any number of genuinely clever and brilliant lines in there. There's like, the, again, even the smaller details of the provincial, of the provincial town and stuff that opens it, or Gaston, like the, the wonderful stuff like, Ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley, and they'll tell you whose team they prefer to be on. <laughs> wink, wink. Come on, tell me that's not amazing. Um, no? I don't know. Okay, fine. Well, what do you think? I, 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 what's going on? The, 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 um, well, I, 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 I'm, I must be dense. What was being implied there? I think they prefer to play on the other team. Ah. In so the, the the so part of the song is about how like well that makes sense yeah and then like all of the all of the um the women want to be with me all of the men want to be with me yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good takeaway from right. like if Gaston were to summarize they know they can't be me yeah <laughs> nobody could be me yeah uh, but even stuff like um, in a wrestling match nobody bites like Gaston it's uh, a way of rhyming with fights and douses lights uh, it's just amazing the detail like the the lyrical uh, the lyrics in this are astounding they are brilliant and, and even as like even as an adult, I'm impressed by them. As a child, I imagine my mind was blown. Again, what is expectorating? What does expectorating? Yeah, mean? what is? But, I still uh, want to know. I mean, spitting. <laughs> spitting. Yeah. Ah. To project spit out of your wait. I, I, w- w- were you? I thought you, you were being from? ironic there. No. Oh, sorry. Oh. I was just being a condescending ass. <laughs> um, um, can I ask a, a very strange question? Go for um, it. How old is Anne Hathaway? Don't answer, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like whoever invented Anne Hathaway based her on Belle. You mean in a she, she looks just 
like her and sounds just like her too. I don't know. Like it, I, I'm, I'm like I, no slice on uh, Anne Hathaway at all. She, she, I but, love, I love but, her in every but, respect. But she, I, I say she's no bad. Well, I mean, Whoa. you got to keep in mind that, that yeah, Anne, Anne Hathaway was cast in the Princess Diaries for Disney as like the live action Disney princess. Yeah, that, makes sense. I, I would agree with Andy that if you were casting like a live action version of an animated Disney princess, because her eyes are, are wonderfully expressive. Her teeth are shining white. Um, her so She has the right sort of face. She's got the same voice as Paige, what, yeah, whatever her name is. She's wonderful music talent as well. Yeah, I... I I can see Anne Hathaway as like a live-action Disney princess. Who's that woman from Pitch Perfect? Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Not, 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 not more of a. I'll, I'll be enough. Again, this is an. Yeah, awkward no, conversation, probably but... more of a Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, awkward conversation, but. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it, it, Anna Kendrick always seems a bit more quirky. A yeah, more sort of like eccentric. Sort I mean, do you, you do establish at the start of this how quirky Belle is? Yeah, but she's quirky within limits. She reads books. <laughs> yeah, that's like, so quirky. Now you got to keep in mind by the standards of Disney princesses to that time, reading books was a phenomenally different thing. And like as compared to Mulan, who like went off and fought in wars and stuff like that, which was another big step for Disney female lead characters. But like up to this point, the idea of Belle being bookish was radical and crazy, and also the idea that Belle wanted a life outside of the town rather than wanting to meet Prince Charming. Now, to be fair, the, the film does hint at this idea when she reads the book and she talks about how she meets a prince. And she's talking about the character in the book who meets a prince but doesn't realise that he's Prince Charming until chapter three, uh, which sort of hints at this idea of what happens with the beast. But she's not initially setting out to marry a prince or to be royalty. She doesn't want to be queen. She doesn't want to be a princess. She just wants more. You know, like she, she Again, that's the I want song. You know, the I want and what she wants is not anything concrete so much as just more than the life that's been presented to her, which is a an endearing aspiration. It's so broad that you can't help but root for it. And I do root for it. I absolutely adore Belle. I think Belle's a fantastic character. I think Beauty and the Beast is a fantastic film. So is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to Beauty and the Beast? Anything we haven't discussed already? Let me just uh, check my super professional notes. You win again, Gravity. Wait, what? Oh, this is uh, Gaston's famous Disney death. <laughs> Gravity, the real villain of all. Well, I mean, it, it's very important that Beast didn't murder him. Yes. Well, Beast, by the Beast, Beast laid him down gently and Gaston fell yeah. <laughs> as, as a result of his own actions. Yeah, well, this is much the Disney like, death. Yeah, much like the... the um, and the fall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But much like in in Sam Raimi's Spider Man, where the car thief who murdered Uncle Ben trips over a thing in the floor and falls through a window, yeah. so it's not it's not like that. It's like the Green Goblin who, like after he's been defeated, tries to murder Spider Man by ramming him through with yeah. a death glider, only to impale himself on his own death glider. Yeah, um, there is something very. It's, it's a very strange sort of like it's it's an understanding of what the audience wants on a visceral level which is the audience wants to see these people suffer because they're terrible but the audience also wants a bunch of heroes who are like comparatively speaking have you know clean hands so yeah, we end up with this weird uh, paradox of plotting where the bad guys have to be so selfish self-murder. and so stupid 
that they effectively commit Wait, suicide. They effectively fall down an elevator shaft yeah. onto some bullets. That's what you're saying. There's the kind onto of... the knife that was pointing <laughs> upwards. I mean, there's a satisfying thing in a movie, but maybe not a Disney movie, like the whole kind of um, a Timothy, Bal- uh, Timothy Dalton, Dalton uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan, um, James Bond, where it's like, do it for England, James. Like, do it for me. And he like drops him on the... Like, Oh yeah, he totally murdered him. Oh yeah, 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 no. But but then he gets murdered by the the platform that falls. But I I feel I feel like the Disney films don't even have that initial step where Beast goes, (laughs) "Oh, this is for me," Uh, and then before the satellite gets dropped on him. And to be fair, the satellite's dropped on him because of other stuff that Bond is doing at the same time. So I don't feel like I don't feel like the satellite falling is a complete. Their satellite dish falling is a completely random event that just happened to end his life. Yeah, I'm. Pretty sure if I were Pierce Brosnan and and you were Sean Bean, Andrew, and I dropped you from a platform that was that height, I would fully expect it to have killed you. I wouldn't be like, I, need to I, I bet that guy's just choking on his own blood slowly right now. I need to go and cause some explosions to crush him. Do they Zenya on a top? Zenya on a top. I like that you remember the surname. Yeah, she, 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 she. She gets like um, uh, crushed against that tree. I wonder, does he go back later? Just to make Just sure. To, like, yeah. That was one of the worst deaths in a I Bond kinda, movie. I kind of liked it. I have, a, I also have a soft spot for is that the world is not enough. Where Bond, who is deeply in love with Sophie Marceau's character, who has tried to like kill him and brutally murder him and betrayed him and tried to murder M, and at the end he finds her up in the bedroom and he has the gun pointed at her. And she's like, oh, you wouldn't shoot me. You'd miss me. And then he shoots her point blank, cold-blooded, yeah. completely unarmed, and says, I never I, miss. I never miss. And I was like, I like this Pierce Brosnan bond. Stone-cold sociopath. Yeah, I wish those films were better, because Bros- Brosnan, Brosnan was a great Bruce bond. Too, yeah. Though. I, like, yeah, I'm a big uh, fan of Tomorrow Never Dies, where he throws an OAP into a shredder, shouting, <laughs> give the people what they want. <laughs> again, I, again, I feel like, like Jonathan Price would you know be like hey i wasn't an oap at that point he was probably only a few years older than we are now Fair point. Um, he was always that age Sheldon Bryce always looked 50 uh, but i do love the i love the idea of like basically pierce brosnan's sociopathic bond which is like the pre-mortem one-liner where it's like um, <laughs> just to show how completely emotionally detached from the violence I'm inflicting. I have a pun that I'd like to employ right now. Yeah, because the post-mortem uh, one-liner is like, oh God, he's dead. I'll say something. Fill the uh, awkward silence. Yeah, yeah. Whereas oh. the pre-mortem... It's like, I wasn't quite sure that would kill him, but it looks like he's dead. <laughs> so now to cut through... The, the tension that yeah. exists. It's like, it's not enough to drop him from a platform. <laughs> now I have to drop the platform on him. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm not... I love Pierce Brosnan, on the other hand, is like, I'm going to kill you, but I want you to know before I kill you that I thought of something that was only mildly <laughs> funny about it. Um, that's how little you matter to me. Come, come, Mr. Bond. Come, come, Mr. Bond. That, that really should... Uh, uh, Andy, yeah. by the way, has some really great impersonations. I'm, not to put uh, him on the spot. I'm not going to do them right now. No, really? No. no You'll sing for us, but you uh, won't provide... I'll sing for anyone. Okay. okay, all right, fine, all right. So I guess the you have up- to leave the audience wanting more. The upshot is, if Beast had been played by Pierce Brosnan, we probably would have got 
a slightly more murdery beast character. And only him, slightly less hairy. They didn't have him played by Kelsey Grammer either. <laughs> Unlike the other beasts. I'm kind of wondering what your Gaston like one liner would have been. Like what you want like if you throw Gaston off the castle, um it would have You wouldn't expect to write this. <laughs> how how is anyone supposed to beat that one liner? <laughs> That's the best thing I've heard all week. Uh, this is why you don't drop in unannounced. Um <laughs> Don't be my guest. But uh, anyway, so with that in mind, then I think we'll wrap up. But generally at the end of the podcast, we ask our guests to recommend something that they enjoy, to point listeners towards something that they appreciate. Bring a little joy to our listeners. And that life. can be you. That can be yourself as well. But even or, if or your online you. Your online presence. But also even if you are watching a show, reading a book, uh, listening to another podcast, if there's something that you think would enrich the listener's life by having their attention brought to it, what would it be? Oh, man, I wish I'd um, prep this. Prep this. You, you know what? Have, have you heard of this This better call Saul? Have you heard of this? I'm not familiar with it. it, it that sounds like you're, a show you're, from a... You're, you're, you're being ironic, Darren. But yes, uh, I adore uh, Better Call Saul. <laughs> better Call Saul is amazing. You're a big Breaking Bad man. I'm a huge Breaking Bad fan. I would argue Breaking Bad is probably one of the best TV shows yeah, I've Yeah, I mean... And Better Call Saul is amazing. It's like... Uh, yeah, if, you, if you've heard of this, this Breaking Bad phenomenon, which is pretty recent, then maybe you'll, you'll enjoy be- Better Call Saul. Not, not even that. Like, my Contro- mother... Controversial. I don't like... Yeah, Breaking Bad. Maybe I'll still like... Um... Well, this is the thing. My mother has never watched Breaking Bad, but she loves Better Call Saul, which is kind yeah, of strange. Cause kind I, of different shows. They really are, they are very different shows in terms of tempo, in terms of style, and in terms of, of what they're about and how they're about it. But it is interesting because it means when we have conversations, she has no idea who Saul is, to pick an example. Ah. Uh, because obviously his name has never been mentioned in the show outside of the advertisement at the very start of the mm. very first episode. So mom has no frame of reference for who is Saul? What, why should he call Saul? Why does Jimmy need to call Saul? What's happening? Uh, what's going on? And she can't even, she can't properly like contextualize the flash forwards. Like it's clear that something bad has happened. But for a while she thought that it was related to whatever Jimmy was working with in the week of the show. Oh, it was right. like, oh, the, the problem that he's having with the law firm, that's going to go so bad that he's going to end up working in a Cinnabon in the middle of nowhere under a fake name. But it is, it is interesting because she adores it and it works very well. And it's, one of the rare prestige dramas that doesn't rely on mass amounts of bloodlust or carnage. There, there is a, a surprising amount in there, though. Like the the, the cartel subplots, yeah. I I enjoy them, but I I prefer just straight up Jimmy yeah. just going about his, Elder his business. Yeah, Elder Law. I would love that. Yeah. The occasional bit of Mike being a badass. That's. That's but being pleasing. a badass in like a Coen brother professional sort of way, like yeah, I absolutely love it when an episode will spend ten minutes on like Mike screwing off a hubcap. Oh yeah, or he's like he's preparing that um, that hose pipe full of nails. Yeah, and it's, like it's just it's just nice to just watch him work. Yeah, he's a very professional. He's working on that with his with his granddaughter yes. one, I believe as well like it's again it's a beautiful show it's full of all these wonderful little attention to details I, I would say that one of the biggest slip ups in the whole show is um, his granddaughter is way too old for to, it to make to, sense to, with breaking not down. even that but like in one of the early episodes she's playing with a doll or something that he bought her and she she looks about 10 and she's giggling at this this doll for newborns or something and I'm like 
is she is she touched in some way like this this just doesn't make any sense all right so andrew if you could draw people's attention to something that you enjoy i want to undercut the 10 minute conversation about better call so by like um uh plugging like a charity or something but, <laughs> but um no um uh um i don't know the, the, the um i recently watched when harry met sally that's great. Had you seen it before? Have I already plugged that on this no. show? No, good. Um, no, I hadn't seen it before. It was my first time. Nice. Brilliant film. Yes. Wonderfully charming and engaging. Um, in terms of, for you, Andrew, because you like a bit of Stephen Ray in your life, Black 47, which is the Irish famine western starring Hugo Weaving as well. It's a story of oh. vengeance and bloodlust against the black, the, sorry, the backdrop of like this horrific famine that occurred in Ireland. If your listeners who are overseas, you've probably heard of it but it, it's an absolutely staggering western it's wonderfully stylized it's very vicious but it's also got this sort of post-colonial like vicious like aggressive streak running through it this mean streak running through it which is fascinating to watch in terms of irish cinema and it's also fascinating to watch irish cinema sort of engaging with like international markets and that's very much of a piece with say django or The Revenant, or even like Bone Tomahawk in terms of what's happening with the Western genre internationally. So if you are an international listener and you haven't had a chance, I would wholeheartedly recommend seeking out Black 47 if you're interested in Irish cinema at all, Irish history at all, uh, Hugo Weaving, or even just a little bit of Stephen Ray in your life, Andrew. If you're a producer and... Uh, you want to make a movie with studio. a good actor. Yeah, yeah with... and, and, and you're looking for like a, a, a script... Um, like an Irish-based uh, uh, Western. I mean, um, uh, like uh, keep keep your ears to the ground. I'm sure that there are plenty of them out there. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, like leave it as mysterious as that. Um, but anyway, so if people want to find you online, Andy, where can they find you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on Facebook? Oh, are you comfortable sharing any of that information? I, I ain't sharing that. No. But I I have a lapsed website that's now gone back to WordPress, which is eloquentbear.wordpress.com. Boom. There you can find all my creative writings, and it's awesome. Andrew, um, you can find me um, on the 250. <laughs> Online at... Aquinuqua, A-Q-U-I-N-N-I-U-Q-A. That's right. You can also follow me at Darren Artist Company. You can follow the 250 at at the 250, spelt using real letters. We're available on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever good podcasts are available. Uh, if you want to leave a good review, we'd very much appreciate it. Remember, if you like it, tell everyone. If you don't like it, tell us. Bye. Bye. Laters.